Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, August the 6th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. I am Groot. Mr. Bob Shortle. Yep. Bob Shortle. Bob Ryer. Wow. I'm Mr. I, Bob Shortle. <laughs> well, I just turned into your dad. Uh, yeah, apparently. <laughs> Bob Ryer. Yeah. <laughs> and Stephanie Cook. <laughs> it was all going so well, and then I yeah. fucked it up. Um... I am super excited for the show today. Super excited. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy, the new Marvel Studios film, after the break. Before that, obviously, we're going to do Books of the Week. Um, super excited to review that movie, so we're going to get there as quick as possible. But I do have a question for all of us. So this is a little, it's a little bit of a news item, but I wanted to speak about it. Um, what the hell is Sony doing with the, with the Spider-Man <laughs> franchise. I don't even understand what's going on anymore. They delayed the Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 3 to 2018, mm-hmm. but they, they kept the Sinister Six slotted in for, I believe, 2016, um, a Venom Carnage movie slotted in for 2017, as well as a female-led superhero yes. film in 2017. Un- unnamed. Unnamed yeah. female-led. I, I, I have no idea what's going on. Um, you don't want to see a Madam well, Web movie? Stephanie, the, what were you going to say? I don't think that they would even have the rights to a Spider-Woman movie, because Spider-Woman's an Avenger, not... like. Ugh. I don't think it, they have it, blanket rights to everything. They absolutely do not have the rights to Spider-Woman. They which was Spider-Girl. Spider-Girl, yes, yeah, they do. May Parker is Spider-Girl, but Spider-Woman was created separately. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny because they announced that, like, oh, there's a female... And then, like, every every news outlet had a picture of Spider-Woman in it. Not gonna happen because she's owned by Marvel. Has yeah. the rights to do Spider Woman. It's um, really, really weird. Oh, they could do um, Felicia. They could because she this, was the, in the second one. She is, but this continues the weird Sony thing where they're like, "We don't have it. We're not gonna make any hero movies about heroes. We're just gonna make movies about the villains in the Spider Man universe." It's a very weird thing. Like, I don't understand. Like, who is the Sinister, Sinister Six going to be opposing? We're gonna see him have cappuccinos. No one. Yeah, no one. We uh, we just to fight each other. Yeah. I feel like there's a race to get a female-led superhero movie out there, and each Sony's trying to be like, "Hey guys, we got an idea for this thing. We can't tell you what it is yet, but you know, look forward to it and stuff." I very much disagree with you. There's definitely not a race. <laughs> uh, well, there yeah, is like walking if, race. if by race you mean. They don't give a shit until they've run out of all the male leads. Then <laughs> yes, I definitely agree. It's the race. Of well, I feel like what happened was this weekend. Like uh, Guardians obviously hit big, and we'll talk a little about that later as far as box office and stuff like that. But I feel like it hit big, and, and then the kind of sentiment was, well, okay, but when is the the female superhero movie going to come? And I feel like Sony kind of like jumped 
on that sentiment yeah. and was like, <clears throat> hey, yeah, we're doing one. We have no details about it. No one's directing it or writing it, but we're going to do a female-led superhero yeah. movie, which is awesome. I just don't know who the hell is going to be the lead of this movie that there they're talking about. There are not a whole lot of choices if you're Zombie staying Gwen. with the, Zombie the Spider-Man <laughs> universe. Super Gwen. I mean, Black Cat. Yeah, the Felicia she was saying, like, yeah. Silver Sable is one. Oh, okay. There's some, but, like, the, like I don't understand, like... But... It's just a weird universe to know, pick to do that we, with. Sorry, we, Stephanie, go ahead. We've talked a lot about, in regards to comics, not putting out, like, um, a Falcon book because, say, Falcon has a solo book, doesn't have the same, you know, bang as Captain America, mm-hmm. who's now black. Like, it doesn't, right. you know... And by Sony being like, we're doing a female-led movie... Like, that means nothing. You're using characters that no one's going to know. So you're going to make a big, like, deal out of something that's probably not going to gather that much interest if you're not putting a big name with it. Right. And, I mean, unless you have the genius marketing that, obviously, Marvel has, where they put out a movie with nobody nobody knows, no <laughs> characters anybody knows, and made a bunch of money. Or gets a huge actress to come do yeah. this, where she brings her own cachet to the project. Yeah. Yeah, it's just weird to me because Spider-Man is a weird is a weird universe to do this in, and it's also weird because it seems like they're like, yeah, we realize people are kind of disinterested in the Spider-Man movies, so we'll just make a whole bunch of movies related to characters people know less than Spider-Man in in their universe who are all villains. It doesn't. It it just it it boggles my mind. Like, get the main character right. It's because it's different than the than the Marvel Studio stuff, right? Which is multiple properties that cover multiple books that have multiple universes mm-hmm. and multiple sets of characters. You're dealing in one set of characters, and to be fair, it's a giant set of characters. Spider Man is like ridiculously huge as far as the amount of people it has in it, and it has great supporting people in it. But I don't know how you go like, okay, we're doing this movie, and look, it might be great. Like, I like I'm saying this, but. Um, you know, Scarlett Johansson can open a movie, right? That that is called Lucy that has nothing to do with any major property and open huge. So I I think that you can do something good with it. It's just I feel like I don't understand what they're thinking with, with the Spider-Man franchise at all um, at this point. Sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. And I mean, they could be like, "Well, let's get ScarJo here." But <laughs> uh, did you guys see? And again, we'll talk about this more later too. But um. Perlman, Nicole Perlman, is that yeah, her Nicole, name? Yeah, the co-writer of um, Guardians of the Galaxy. I was creeping on her IMDb, and she <laughs> has Black Widow listed as her one of her like credits in production. Yeah, she said on Twitter that in like 2012 or something like that, she had she wrote the draft for a Black Widow movie, but she's not actively working on it right now. Starts to just like squash any rumors that that's the next thing coming up or whatever it is. Um, Bastards. <laughs> but it, it, it's an interesting thing to me. I don't know. I mean, Steve, you love Amazing Spider-Man. You love Spider-Man in general. You didn't so much love Amazing Spider-Man Two, but I mean, the, they've they've announced now that you know it's going to be Venom and Carnage is going to be the, the 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 title of the next one. Um, <laughs> what do you think about what Sony's doing with the Spider-Man franchise? I think they don't have the best handle on it. I, I think they're kind of scrambling for ideas. The idea that they're reaching out to so many different, like you said, villains. I mean, yeah, people want to see Venage, uh, Venage, Venom and <laughs> Carnage uh, in a movie. I just don't know that building a movie around those two characters without a mention of having Spider-Man in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would assume that 
that's what you would do. I don't think he's going to be in them though. Then what are you doing? <laughs> I don't. Th- I I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know. I, who's in charge over at Sony? Um, well, I think Avi Arad, who has been producing yeah. the Marvel movies since he since Spider Man One, All right, well, is in charge. But the guy seems like a crazy like a crazy guy. He, he might need he, a nap. Well, yeah. He's the guy who stuck Venom into Spider Man Three. Yeah, okay. when Sam Raimi wanted Vulture. Mm. I think you know. I think the Venom character and the Carnage character are very interesting characters. I think they're great villains. I don't know that they can support their own film. I mean, you're going to have one villain going against another villain, and who's going to st- Who's going to stop who? Yeah. You know? I, I don't know. Yeah. Who's going to care? Be, yeah. Beat I, each other up and we'll yeah. pick up the pieces it's, afterwards. You know, we, I had a conversation with somebody earlier on Twitter about uh, Mighty Avengers and like, when are, when are the trades going to be coming out and should I go out and find the singles and stuff like that? What should I do? And it just, it harkens back to that with these smaller characters and smaller books and smaller franchises. You can't just, you know lay like a, like a character roster on a desk and be like, all right, listen, so we put it out there that we're going to be doing a female, you know, Spider-Man universe movie. This is what we've got. So, uh, you know, ideas, let's mm. go. And just, you know, um, well, Black Cat, we've kind of already established her. You know, what if we did this? I don't th- think that they know that that's not going. You need to be so much more than that these days. Mm. With movies like Guardians of the Galaxy coming out and stuff like even like Days of Future Past, People, there's a, there are established franchises that people have like a fever, like a year, two years ahead of time. There are people that are already dying to see Guardians of the Galaxy too. I'm one of them. Mm. That if you told me that there was going to be a Black Cat movie in like four years, my response would be like, so. Mm. You know, I, yeah. I, I as much as I would love to see a female-led superhero movie, that ain't the solution. Mm. No, it's a character that, first of all, is going to be seen as a knockoff of Catwoman. Right. Instantly. Which she kind of was she anyway. kind of was. And yeah. it's gone to her own place in the book. Oh, yeah, but, totally. But still, that's what's going to be seen as a general mm-hmm. audience. Her luck just ran out. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no setup for it except she's the secretary. Mm-hmm. But, uh, who cares, really? Now, if on the X, no, I'm serious. She um, also gains access to Osborne's of stash of goodies. That's what happens. <laughs> She's important in that Spoiler. way. Right. Yeah. yeah. That movie is just about to come out, right? On DVD finally? Yeah, it just came Blu-ray. out digitally, and then it's going to yeah. be on Blu-ray, I think, in a couple weeks. Yeah. I watched a portion of it this morning. It oh, really? It has yeah. its moments. But if Fox had announced, okay, in two years, we're going to do a Mystique movie. Right. Okay. Jennifer yeah. Lawrence, I'm a little more jazzed that you... You've used this character very well across a couple of movies. If you had said Kitty Pride, mm-hmm. these characters we've seen, maybe not Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you had said a Storm movie, even with her, honestly, mm-hmm. I, okay, I've got a track record. Nebulous character, no writer, no director. It's a movie. Right. Go yeah. make it a movie. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. Yeah. That's the thing that's the problem with it. And I, I just, I, I just don't get it. I, I think that. You know, there are characters in the Spider-Man universe I feel like you could probably hit to do this kind of stuff, but I, I feel like the ones that have been rumored so far are not the ones. And the fact that I have a problem with all these sites like positing Spider-Woman without doing any research to know that that's not possible. Yeah. Oh, it's a clickbait. Because she's not re- she's not related in really any way to Peter yeah. Parker or the Spider-Man universe except her name is Spider-Woman. Uh, see, the character to me that would be perfect, but it's so unknown except for those of us who loved it, yeah. the, the future universe spider girl would be right. perfect yeah. you've got a teenage girl it's that marketing mm. it's a character with a great backstory and it's peter and mary jane's daughter you right. could tie everything together and turn it into the female spider-man mm. and it's a great story 
Right. It's going to be silk. But, but they're not going to do mm-hmm. that. Somebody else bitten on the same day? We're yeah, gonna go it, there. it's yeah. just going to be a reboot of the reboot. And then <laughs> like, guess what? The spider was pretty crafty, and he bit two people. You never <laughs> noticed the girl in the back. Well, this is her movie. Yeah. It's 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 just I I don't know they, they seem to have kind of lost their, their way. It, it's funny because I think I feel like it's because they invested so much money and everything that they feel like they can't leave it totally behind. But pushing Amazing Spider-Man three to two thousand eighteen, it's first of all it seems like a very far a very long way away. Yeah, and to put out you don't spin off movies off of a movie you you're not confident in. You know what I mean? You don't go. No. We're gonna spin off three movies off of a movie that people seem tired of in the first place. Yeah. So tired of that. We feel like we have to push it back two years because we want to give it space. So people, maybe they miss the character again before it comes back. Well, I mean, I'll at least give them this. People haven't made villain movies yet. Maybe they think that this could be a new thing. Maybe Mm. they're going to try it and say like, you know, Hey, look, you know, Marvel and, and DC are doing their thing, but over here we've got these interesting, you know, anti-hero and villain movies. Right. Check them out. I mean, there isn't any really better Marvel character to deal with villains than Spider-Man. He's the best, but we'll have Stephanie's favorite thing, which is, this is why they're bad guys. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> which is an actual nightmare to me. I know. I know. And that's what I, that's what it smells like to me whenever I hear these villain movies is you're going to hear, you're going to see why they're so bad. They're not really that bad. They just had a tough childhood. Like that's what it's gonna that, be. If you did Venom and had it be Flash, yeah. But how do you do? How do you do the like the, the anti-hero trying to be good Venom before you do the crazy villain Venom? It doesn't work. How do you do Alien Symbiote? Yeah, exactly. In the first place, yeah. That, You've got to bring him in in Spider-Man first, and then transition him into something yeah. else. Um, I don't know. It just seems a lot very weird to me. Remember when Tobey Maguire fought that guy in the hallway? Yeah, this is his movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. But let's let's go on to more positive things. Well, before we go, oh, yeah. on, just on that front, did anyone I mention this to you briefly off air? Did anyone see the weird tweets over the last few days from Katie Sackhoff? No, I did not. I did. Yeah. Shh. No. Go ahead, Bob. Well, mm. she, she her first one was as the guy not on Twitter going. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes. <laughs> of all the people, of all the people, <laughs> yeah. um, going to a super secret meeting with Stan Lee, wearing red leather because it seems appropriate. Mm-hmm. Second tweet is her having a casting done of her head. Yeah. With just her mouth showing. Yeah. Third one, a pile of red material sitting on a table. Red boots. And then every we're all everyone goes, well, it's gotta be Carol, it's gotta be this. And then a fourth one of her with sort of weird contact lenses and a lace veil going, uh, not a Marvel project, hugs and kisses. That <gasps> one I didn't see. Yeah. <laughs> so either it's not. Or it is, and she's been told shush. She's not doing a very good job keeping mm-hmm. it quiet. I know, we're told shush for the third one. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as Bobby said to me before, you know, Joss Whedon just yeah, tweeted he- out her picture about, oh, female Thor is not a good idea. A yeah. picture of her at Starbucks. She's playing with it a little bit, but I, you know, maybe she could play Spider Woman. <laughs> maybe she could, but I think she's going to be Carol Danvers. I think so. I still think that's going to happen. It's too perfect. And they are still filming, so... Yeah, I don't know if she's going to be in Avengers 2, but I feel they like she's coming. They could do, like, a teaser. They could. They could so. do, like, the, the button, like, the after credits scene. Mm-hmm. Could definitely be something with her. I mean, all that Joss Whedon said, it seems like he wants to go that way very strongly, but we'll have to see what happens. Is he staying on for the third movie? Uh, Joss Whedon? Yeah. I don't think that is that he said yet. Okay. He's definitely on for the second one, and he's been kind of sculpting the universe, but they haven't announced a director for Avengers 3 yet. Okay. 
he could produce and what's Drew Goddard is his Drew Goddard Drew Goddard yeah he's doing he's doing Sinister Six actually he's the one ah. doing Sinister Six that's why he dropped off of Daredevil um, so pictures of yeah <laughs> Charlie Charlie Grant? Charlie Cox Charlie Cox yeah as, as Matt yeah I'm excited about that show mm-hmm. that's when did that start 2015 I think it's early 2015 so not that much longer to go no not mm-hmm. that much longer to go at all Sorry, it's like Christmas is like four months away I know so <laughs> disgusting it's crazy. October and November are crazy. It's true. Lots of craziness coming up. Evolve got pushed. What? That's a different show. Oh, yeah, different show. But, but it got pushed to February 10th, 2015. <laughs> oh. Which? The dominoes start falling. A it's game. A, a game called Evolve yeah. that oh. we were all very excited for. Yeah. So The, the dominoes start falling in that. You'll hear a lot more probably of those. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on from this little news nugget. To, let's, do, um, let's do some lightning round. Huh? <laughs> let's talk about some lightning round. Steve, do you want to go first? Sure. Let me uh, get my timer up here. All right. Before we start, I want to say thank you, first of all. <laughs> I was totally ready to go. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were ready, so I was trying to kill some time. Vamping. I was like vamping. leaning in, waiting for the uh, gun. I was vamping. Um, thank you to all our listeners and everyone who um, reviewed us uh, on iTunes and upvoted the good reviews and yeah. put down oh. the bad reviews. In, in a day, it clearly turned around and changed. Mm-hmm. So the reviews oh. that people see when they come on are no longer like, um, the the four bad reviews that, that we have, have been there on iTunes. Since day one. Yeah. So um, and also cool. to note that in Canada, um, they were all positive on that, and I think it goes by region. Yeah, it does go by region. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't see. I can't see any of the U.S. ones. Oh, really? That's weird. Mm. I can't see any of the ones besides those three. You have to keep going more reviews, more reviews. They're all there. It just the thing about iTunes and I people. Uh, you know, I discuss this on Twitter a little bit, people. But the thing. Think that the um, if you go on the web store, like you go on like the the, the desktop. Yeah, the store. Right you, you there's um you can sort it by different options there's most helpful most recent most favorable most critical okay um if you choose most recent it just goes by order of when they were reviewed um if if you do most helpful it's the one that people voted on the most helpful most critical is obvious most favorable mm-hmm. is also obvious on the podcast app for pod for podcasts on the unlike your iphone and stuff like that it only pulls in the most helpful reviews as the top um, and so, you know, people who didn't like us, you know, said that, like, you know, voted that this one review was very, very helpful and a couple other ones that were bad. So they stayed on top. But in, in the last day, people kind of reversed that. And that's awesome. People are people are amazing and, and, and great. It's just like people don't like us. That, that's their business. And I totally that's totally up to them. Yeah. It's just funny because we have like. You know, we have like probably ninety nine percent positive reviews. Yeah, it's yeah. four and three quarters or five and yeah. three quarters or whatever their rating thing is. And yeah, I always found that interesting. Yeah, but the listeners have been fantastic, and they they, they mobilize really really quickly. So thank you so so much to everyone. It's for pretty that. cool. It's like a little army. Yeah, it was not even a little army. It's yeah. like a big army. It definitely was, which was which was freaking awesome. Um, but if you guys haven't reviewed the podcast on iTunes, please if you, if you have the time, go ahead and review that and and click the uh, good reviews. If you click, they're helpful. It, it up it makes some, pushes them up as well. Um, but we definitely, I want to tell people that, you know, people who did it, like we definitely saw an uptick in downloads just in the last day uh, be- because of it. So thank you very right. much to, the, to those people. Fantastic. All right. Let's start this, this lightning round here. All right. Lightning round, Steve, go. All right. So my first book uh, this week is actually uh, Outcast number two, written by a brand new unknown creator by the mm-hmm. name of Robert Kirkman, with art by Paul Azaceta, with colors by Elizabeth Breitweiser, and letters by Russ Wooten. Uh, this series is getting really cool. I didn't know what to think of it. I liked the first issue, but you always wonder if the guy that's writing The Walking Dead, he's starting something new 
do I jump onto this and strap in for the ride? Because presumably this is going to go on Mm -hmm. for a very long time. But I'm really happy with the way this is turning out. Uh, In this issue, we're pretty much seeing Kyle um, like rounding out his character. Kyle's the main character who is kind of acting as a as an exorcist uh, for people in and around his town that have been, you know, plagued by demons. And he's kind of teaming up with this, uh, I can't remember his name, so I'm just going to call him Preacher Man. <laughs> uh, he's running around this Preacher Man. But in this issue, we get a little bit more of his background, some of his childhood, and maybe some of the reasons why he's such a recluse and why he's turned out the way that he has. And we also get an altercation with somebody in town that paints a, yet another mystery in an already cool book that's filled with mystery already. So I just, I really appreciated the issue. I thought it was cool how we're starting to deepen the story. We're deepening the characters and, you know, we didn't do any exercising or set up anything like that in this issue. But what we are doing is, especially with the art uh, by Azaceta is we're like painting this kind of like sad, desolate world. That's just, drenched in this darkness and shadow of this person who has been plagued by this sort of gift and this curse that he's had for his whole life. And it's been responsible for a lot of misery uh, throughout. And it's it's just really interesting to kind of be a fly on the wall and watch him deal with this. And uh, I mean, I was questioning as to whether I should wait for trades for this because Kirkman stuff usually for me is read better that way. But I might have to keep going uh, with this for a little while longer. And then after that, we had all new Ghost Rider number five, which uh, ends the first arc of um, Felipe Smith's uh, on writing with Trad Moore on art, Val Staples on colors with Esther Sands, and VC Joe's uh, Carmenga on letters. So this turned out to be pretty awesome. I didn't know that like all new Ghost Rider was going to be a book that I would absolutely have to buy every time it came out and would easily make it to like the top two or three books that I read first in my pile. Um, I don't know if Bobby, I don't know if you read this. I didn't read it yet. No, but this, especially with the Tradmore art, I mean, it helps a lot, but this was almost like the Luther Strode issue of ghost rider, the finale, the art, the violence, and you know, just the, um, just this crazy, crazy character that we're starting to get to know again within the new Marvel. I ran out of time. I only had two books! No. God damn! It's those <laughs> credits. All right, whatever. Those credits are killing me. You guys, Ghost Rider number five. I loved it. Want to know why? Too bad. Oh, go ahead. Hmm. Go no, ahead. it's all good. I, it's you a- know, I read two issues of All New Ghost Rider, and I didn't like it. I love the art, mm-hmm. but I think that the actual series, like the first issue, I got through it, and I was like, that's it? Oh, I loved it. I, I like it I a lot. I didn't see, like, you don't even... There was just, I don't know, I tried, and I really wanted to like it, but I just felt like there was no substance to it. I love the establishment of the the character. Like, I love that that first yeah. issue is just about this guy dealing with, like, you know, supporting his, his, his brother, brother, his right? brother yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. I love that that's what the book's about. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love Tradmore's art, um, him being on this book with all the flames and all the fighting and all the, the blood and just all these, you know, monsters and crazy stuff running around. Um, I really like that they they took Robbie's brother and made him a special needs character that you get to see this very doting and very caring, you know, character who's also this demonic force that gets overtaken by the Ghost Rider. He's, you know, he's the mm. new, you know, demon on four wheels or whatever. 
and he's just shredding, you know, gangbangers and stuff all over town. But the reason that he's able to keep, you know, the Ghost Rider in check is because he's got a good heart. And a lot of that is displayed in his interactions with his brother. And by the close of this arc, we get, you know, kind of a cap on just how much he cares about him and what he'll go through to make sure that his brother's mm-hmm. happy and cared for. Right. So that's what I liked. Right. Stephanie, what was it about it that, you, that didn't connect with you? It wasn't like, I thought that the general idea of what you guys are saying was good, but I just felt like there was nothing to it. Like before I knew it, it was over. Um, I felt like the whole book, like in the first two issues, um, felt really scatterbrained. Like they didn't really have a good game plan. Like maybe it'll read better um, as a complete arc. Uh, but I just felt like the first issue provided me with really nothing to go back to. I don't know. Right. It just, right. it wasn't bad. It just, it just, I want it more. Yeah. I mean, it definitely like I, hasn't been for everybody from other people that I've talked to. So it felt I ended up cut really off. Um, for me, above the, you know, above the writing though, it's been the art. I, I just love the art so much in it that mm-hmm. I, I keep coming back to it for that. It's similar to my feeling with Inhuman. Because I just love the Joe Maguire art so much that I went back to it. Now he's yeah. not on the book anymore, so I'm probably not going to read it anymore. But uh, that, that's one of the few times for me that where the art, I'm like, I need to read this book because I need to see what Tradmore yeah. is going to do. I mean, there's one aspect of the book that I, like the, the pills that are going around that mm-hmm. they're they're trying to, you know, the, the drug lords are trying to get back. Right, yeah, yeah. They're kept in this, like, duffel bag. And there's one point where the dude takes the entire duffel bag and just scarfs it down. And there's all these teeny tiny little pills that are this, you know, like a, like a drug, a, like a mutant drug mm. almost that are, you know, pumping him up to demonic mm. levels. The very idea of somebody ingesting something like that, just it's, it's a pretty menacing situation. Mm-hmm. I have to say, too, I love Outcast. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Really good. Um, like I said, the first issue, I think it's it's one of the most uh, confident, like assured uh, first couple of issues I've ever read. It just feels like they know exactly what they want to do, mm-hmm. and they've got a plan, and they're going to do it. You know, and yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, I was very hesitant with issue two, and I sat down mm-hmm. and I opened it, and I went, "No, nope, I know why I bought this. Yeah, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I wonder if it's been years in the making, kind of thing. I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure for him, it's been years in the yeah. making. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right, Stephanie, ready for some lightning round? I think so let me pull up my list here all right all right are you ready i am all right lightning round go uh first thing i read was i love trouble you might remember a while back ago i talked about the first issue of this book got a chance to finish the entire trade of it and apparently there was a lot of problems with uh publishing and there was some stuff between the artist and some shenanigans but anyways i finished it really cool concept and it's just a shame that it didn't you know kind of know what was going on like in terms of the publishing uh interesting story i think i just used that word um (laughs) but it kind of just abruptly ended like the last issue you can tell it was just trying to wrap everything up Mm -hmm. um and it didn't really make any sense like there was the story was going in one direction and all of a sudden it was like and it's over bye thanks for coming um but it was a really cool book with really interesting art uh and it just kind of fell apart but it is worth checking out for the first few issues and just kind of seeing um, the character development and the really kind of cool story that they're telling. Um, the next up is The Wake. I thought this was going to be my book of the week. I called it like <laughs> after the show. And I have to say, I'm super disappointed after, you know, nine issues of leaving the book and going, oh, my God, what? <laughs> I was just like, oh, huh. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that sucked. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Whoa. So. Them is fighting words. Yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed with how it all wrapped up. It just didn't feel like, you know, the mind-blowing, you know, finale that I was looking forward to. Um, so, everything else was good, guys. Kudos for that. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, last broadcast. I read that, too. Um, it's something from Archaea, I believe, or Boom? Yes, yes. it's Archaea. <sighs> tried or Boom, to, the same thing. No. I, I really wanted to get into this, and I, I think part of my problem was not knowing what it was about going into it, and I thought that it was sort of a post-apocalyptic story. And it's not... <laughs> I don't really know what it's about, but it's kind of just all over the place. And um, someone recommended it to me, recommended it to me, and um, I wanted to give it a chance. And it just didn't hit home with me. Like it felt a bit, you know, like what's happening here? It just kind of all over the place. And what's going on with this room? What's going on with this character? Why is he doing that? What? I don't know. I just expected it to be something cool like the last broadcast and the covers they had made it sound like they were like you know post-apocalyptic and they were like looking for something cool like a last broadcast <laughs> um and that was not what this book was about at all so we're hoping for fallout yeah totally <laughs> that's exactly it time is up well discuss the wake go <laughs> oh yeah did um, anyone else read it? No, I haven't read it. I yet. haven't. Oh. I haven't had the chance. Um, the last broadcast. I read the first issue of it, mm-hmm. and I, it's one of the first. I think one of the first Archaea single issue books. Like you know, they usually are known for doing their their collected <laughs> trades, yep. original graphic novels, and since they merged with Boom, they're going to start doing single issues. And it, but it, to me, it felt like here is the first twenty pages from okay. a graphic novel not like here's an issue of a comic book right um and, and so that's what really turned me off uh, about it almost immediately yeah uh, yeah I, I i felt like it wasn't a full story yeah and like again it's probably my fault for going into it blind and not really knowing what it was about but like the covers for the book are very misleading with the title mm. like super misleading so i don't know like it just really turned me off because it wasn't at all what I had expected. Gotcha. All right. That was a lot of not good yeah, things. Some, it wasn't very happy things in your, I in know. your round. I I didn't mean to. <laughs> Rain cloud it kinda, round. It just yeah. came out that way. You brought us, you brought us Dark down. Dark cloud round. <laughs> Sidebar, cloud one round. quick thing. I read the Sex Criminals number six today. Yeah. Did you guys notice like on the opening credits page? And I was like, I'm sure this is intentional, but for the editor editing is spelt wrong oh really like, in the credits i'm sure that's intentional that seems like a mad fraction <laughs> thing to do uh, just it made me <laughs> laugh and i was like i'm sure this is intentional and at the same time even if i tweet them and be like hey was this intentional of course they're gonna be like duh yeah yeah did you see exactly. his uh his place card that matt had made for him at the eisner's no his name is like chump zardalarfer or right. something. <laughs> like something something obviously ridiculous <laughs> Really funny. That's awesome. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but it was something very akin to that. <laughs> All right, Bobby, ready for lightning round? Sure. All right, lightning round. Go. Uh, Red Sonia number zero. Gail Simone, Noah Salonga. Interesting story of Sonia as a pirate and her husband. <gasps> You're gonna have to read to find out. 
Leave it at that. Uh, Harley Quinn number eight, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, Chad Harden. Lots going on here. Harley gets kicked out of the roller derby, which no. is pretty hard to do for being violent. But then she discovers something called Skate Club. And the first rule of which is, of course, you don't, you don't talk about, about Skate, skate Club. Club. Mm-hmm. But even more, uh, her friend Big Tony creates a device so her building doesn't smell of animal waste for all those things she has. It's called the Scatapult. <laughs> and it, it flings giant bags of animal poo like against the uh, Barrazano Bridge <laughs> and the offices of DC Comics. Oh, nice. oh my god! So this is just a. a it's just a it hoop. sounds like it's gotten better. Yeah, I might have to has. give it another shot. Uh, double double feature: Avengers, New Avengers twenty one, and Avengers thirty three. Now, uh, Avengers thirty three ends with a to be concluded. It looks like we are finally moving forward toward mm-hmm. this. Some of it seems inevitable, as we saw at the end of the New Avengers here, where it's a character. He's going to do what no one else wants to do, and the guy who's doing it is the guy you'd expect. Yeah. Mm. So we're finally getting there, and it is moving forward. I'm going to reread these, and I think it's all going to help when I read I, it in a lump. I just got all caught up this okay. week, and I'm really I'm back into it. I'm really okay. enjoying it. Uh, there's one coming out today. Nice. Mm. Uh, finishing off with the long-awaited Hawkeye 19, Matt Fraction, David Aja, Chris Hollingsworth, it's bittersweet because we know we're coming down the end and the book is still just so amazing. I don't want to spoil too much of this for people who don't don't know, but a lot of this is it's about Clint's hearing loss and t- half this issue is in sign language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is the high concept thing that pizza was my business, pizza is my business was executed flawlessly. This is going to be this year's version of that, I think. Mm. Just really, really well handled. And we're moving toward his the end of his story. It's now looking to be one long 20-issue Hawkeye arc mm-hmm. with, I guess, those two issues for the tape that they had to go, the Hydra tape, oh, the yeah, shield y- tape yeah, early on. Yeah. But it's all been the story of his building and the bros and the rest mm-hmm. of it. And I'm sorry to see this one go. This has been so much fun over the last couple of years. Is this that's ending with 20? Is that 22. the plan? 22. I think it's 22 mm-hmm. is the last one. But we've got at least one more Kate to go, too. How do you find time to do all of your books plus banter in less than three minutes? And I can't even talk about two books. <laughs> I, good. I keep the credits to a minimum. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. Um, yeah, for me, Hawkeye, I loved it. But what Hawkeye, this Hawkeye issue felt to me like, I, I think Pizza is My Business is genius. And I love the idea behind the sign language aspect of the issue. But, and I think Steve will get this reference uh, very well, is that... It reminds me of one of those episodes of Community, yeah. Where like Community is a brilliant show, and they do like they do these episodes that are they're cut above what other sitcoms are trying to do. But every once in a while, you see those episodes, and they're still good. But you appreciate it more just because they're trying to do something more than okay. how much you're enjoying actually what they're doing. And I that's how I felt about this Hawkeye issue. Like I really, it's... really, I really appreciated what they were doing. I love the idea of the sign language stuff. But for me, I think a lot of times because a, um, and I know they do this on purpose, but the sign language isn't translated, so I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea what's Not being me. said. Mm-hmm. I think I lose some of the the context and the and and the the, the heft behind what's going mm-hmm. on, and because of that, I feel like I, I don't feel it all the way through. Whereas I think other Hawkeye issues that have, who have done similar, like the pizza is my business and others like that, it still landed the the emotional punch for me even though i i've been cut off from traditional storytelling aspects you know what it is it's the meow meow beans of <laughs> hawkeye right right yeah. <laughs> whoops <laughs> it's not necessarily a bad thing no it's it's yeah. funny 
I really could not have put it better myself. I feel exactly the same way when I read it. I, I read it and I, I enjoyed it and I, I appreciate how they were like the presentation mm. and what, but I mean, I couldn't help but let the months that have gone by kind ah. of being away from it mm. stick in my crawl a little bit. And you know, when you pick up something that you loved so much and you're like, oh my God, I've got another issue after like four months or whatever it's been of waiting, you know, I can't wait. And then you open it up and you're like, oh, it's another, we're going to do something really outlandish and you're just going to go with it because you love Hawkeye issue. All right. And I read it and I'm like, that was really good. But I like it was. I, I felt weird mm-hmm. after reading it. Like there's stuff with Clint and the whole stuff with Clint's character where he's like trying to get over the like the, the being ashamed of having a hearing loss and 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 they kind of compare it to his childhood, childhood. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Which I thought was affecting, mm-hmm. but I felt like the, the the mechanism they delivered it with fell fell short a few times for me personally. Mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't hit. Stephanie, you didn't read this, did you? Not yet. Okay, I just want to make sure because I didn't want to exclude you from the conversation. There's uh, there's some really weird yeah. stuff going on with Hawkeye in general and other series, like especially in uh, Aleshkot's mm-hmm. Secret Avengers. He's constantly making fun of that character and alluding not only to how stupid Clint is in general, but also kind of hinting that he might die. So I don't think, I don't think one has, has yeah. anything to do with the other. Yeah, no. But um, yeah, I don't know. The whole the whole Hawkeye thing, it seemed like, like Hawkeye was the biggest you know he's on the lips of every comic fan for months for mm. a, over a year and then we kind of moved away from him yeah well that's because we've we've had a lot of time off in between the issues that's such a shame was, was the last issue the winter friends issue it might the have been yeah hawkeye yeah. you know clint it issue been. yeah it might have been yeah it's been a long time so um all right cool bob that's it nice uh all right so i'm gonna do my uh lightning round here um all right, so here we go. Lightning round, go. So my first one is uh, Low. It's uh, Rick Remender and Greg uh, Ticini is the artist. Um, so I've been very excited about this. I, I've been loving Rick Remender stuff over the past but uh, six months or so. Black Science has been fantastic. Um, uh, Deadly Class has been awesome. So I was very excited about Low. Uh, so Low is basically... it. I, I feel like it's post-apocalyptic. I mean, they don't really give us a certain time frame, but the point is, the, it's like the last city in the world. They live underneath the water, and they have kind of this guardian, uh, and, and he goes out in this suit, and, and he kind of protects it. And there is, um, you know, wildlife and other humans who are trying to take over the city, kind of like the rebels or, or the gangs or whatever you're going to call them. And the book is it, it based in this family, of uh, the family of this guardian, who you have to be genetically part of the family to, to drive the suit and they go out and he's kind of training his daughter, showing them what it's like to be one of these things. And it get he gets waylaid by these kind of bandits. Um, and, and then it seems like in this issue, then we go on to what the real story is going to be about. Uh, I, I liked it. I did not go like super crazy for it as I was expecting to. Um, I, 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 I think the art is cool. I, I like the way they're going for this kind of almost impressionistic look to it. A lot of reds and deep colors, which which I enjoyed, which you don't think of when you think of a water setting. Yeah. You think of blues, and there's there's really not many blues in the issue. Um, and it, it has a feeling almost like a like you know that kind of uh, biker like post post apocalyptic like biker gang feeling, but they're under the water. It totally you know, for, is. Yeah. Um, like Escape from New York or, or Mad Max okay. or something like that. But water world. Yeah, but under the water. <laughs> um, and, and it was cool, but I just did not. It didn't excite me the way like Black Science excited me. Um, so I'll definitely keep on with this another issue, but this might be one of those ones that I go trade to trade. 
Yeah, on. that's I'm going trade. Um, but cool, definitely something to be able to at least check out to see see if it's your thing. Um, Justice League number thirty two, and and uh, I've been loving Justice League since Forever Evil. I think they've really kind of hit their stride and done a really great job. Uh, and I really enjoyed this issue too, introducing a, a, a set of characters who I'm not familiar with for the first time, really, and really kind of enjoying the dynamics and having another team around other than the Justice League and seeing how they react together. Still dealing with the fallout of Forever Evil, still dealing with, with Lex Luthor trying to be part of the Justice League and kind of the new power ring, um, finding the, the new, the new identity of the power ring, who was, who was a female in this book. It was really good. And I, if people have been liking this book or they've been wavering on it, definitely keep going with it. My question to you, Bob is, is I don't know not the, them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the doom yeah. patrol at all. So I wanted to know like who the doom patrol is to you and what this, how this like, what are they sharing the same character? They're sharing the same traits. Blah, blah, blah. You're definitely sharing some of the characters. Here she's Rita Starr, where she's actually Rita Farr. She was a movie star, gets gassed on okay. a movie set and can then, she has Ms. Marvel. Well, Ms. Marvel has her powers. Okay. That's who Elastigirl is. That's, uh, her, that's okay. her superheroine name. Robot Man was a car, uh, car race, racing car Which is the same thing in here. Who yeah. Who gets destroyed mm-hmm. in a crash and he's saved only his brain and installed into a robot body. And then it was Negative Man, test pilot, right, cosmic okay. rays, has to walk around bandaged like a mummy and lead bandages. Okay, that's also here. Yeah, yeah. energy beam comes out of him. Right. They were created by a guy named Arnold Drake right around the same time as the X-Men. They came out within about a, two months of each other. The chief was in a wheelchair with this team of freaks. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar? Yeah, yeah. But with the lead time with Creative Comic, Green Comics, no one could ever say that, well, Stan robbed it because mm-hmm. there's no way he could have seen what they didn't get a book out. Even, right. even Jack wasn't that fast. They were DC's Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. They were misfits and oddballs and whatever. And actually, many, many moons ago, I discussed Doom Patrol number 121, their final issue, mm-hmm. where their villains, the, the whole crew of them, the Brotherhood of Evil, they were, oh, no, wow. no less. Yeah. They capture a small fishing village, and I think it was in Nova Scotia or Maine or something, somewhere up northeast. And they present the Doom Patrol with a challenge. Sacrifice yourself or we destroy this entire village. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. They allow themselves to die, and, and the book ended. That was the final issue, and they <laughs> died. They were great characters. The chief had secrets. The chief was not... Well, that's, that's that what guy. I was going to ask. He's yeah. not that guy in that book. Was they, it a complete dick? <laughs> yeah, right. No, Cliff had problems with them, because why'd you stick me in this body? You should have let me die. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, the, the, the Marvel thing. Mm-hmm. Arnold Drake eventually uh, would write the X-Men, which, oh, okay. which is very funny. And he also produced a movie called The Flesh Eaters that got him to sign it, a big <laughs> Apple comic show. The Chief is a great character, and he's being treated very poorly here. An issue from now might be different, maybe. Right, again, we're we'll only in the see. first issue, the first introduction. We're getting like the broad strokes of these people. Yeah. The Chief seems very nefarious in this book, but who knows what's going to happen as, as, as they develop. To me, yeah. Jeff Johns always seems like he's very into like the history of, of the characters. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he did write by the... Um, the Metal Men. The Metal Men when he did he that did. issue. Yeah. So I, I feel like... it was inter- But they were interesting characters to me to, to look at because I liked that they were kind of freaks and they and that was, they were kind of posed as such. And to, to see them, they it seemed like the issue they wanted to be heroes, but they were kind of being held back a little bit from, from being that. So I feel like maybe there's a journey to go on here, but I did enjoy seeing them. And I think visually they're very interesting characters. Oh, yeah. like when, when I saw the solicitation, the, the treacherous chief and his monstrous doom patrol, uh-huh. was, really? <laughs> 
that's where we're going with this now the the element girl is somebody new i don't know who yeah but there was a character called metamorpho the element man Mm -hmm. years ago who could turn his body into any element he wanted to and it was ramona Fraden, right bob haney and very interesting now that's the classic doom patrol lineup those people who read grant morrison's gonna get something very much different right right of course Or keith giffen's that followed Mm -hmm. The Doom Patrol ran a long time, brought them back in the 70s. They were iffy. They didn't work very well in the 70s. It seemed a little off. John Byrne tried to bring them back at one point for about a year, and it didn't work then either. So maybe this is their moment. Maybe. Maybe, absolutely. That's interesting, because I wanted to hear from you, because I, yeah. I, obviously I'm bringing them I have no idea. Uh, like, uh, I, I want to go back and read some of that stuff. I Obviously, I, Grant Morrison thing is in my radar, because I love him so much, and I want to read all his stuff. Yeah. But um, I want to go back and check out that other stuff as well, because I want to see who they really, they really are. I could lend you the the <laughs> issues, or I could lend you the archives. Right. They're, they're in the in the library. <laughs> they're they're some of my favorite DC characters. Mm-hmm. They seem they seem really interesting to me. Um, Seven, you mentioned you you chimed in on low a little bit. Um, what did you think of it? Wait, sorry, which one? On low. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. It felt like first issue itis a bit. Like it seems like something that will read better as a trade overall. Mm, yeah. Um. I was really excited for it too. It was probably the comic I was most excited for uh, out of uh, the announcements from Image Expo. And uh, it just felt, I don't know, it, it wasn't the plot that I thought it was going to be either. Like mm. Rick Remender definitely said that the book was about something else. And I realize they're getting to that. This is all build up. But I kind of expected them more to touch on that stuff right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, this felt the family stuff that happens kind of felt to me more like a second arc kind of story, but I don't know. We'll see. I'm probably going to read it. Like at least like Bobby said, like for a second issue and see where it goes. And if not, I'll just wait for trade. Yeah, absolutely. The art looked very, very interesting. The art is very cool. Like I, I Greg Cheney stuff is great. I, I think that it works perfectly for what they're going for. I, I just, and it's not even like, it's not even that's bad. It's just that the, the tone of it wasn't what I was kind of looking for where I am right now, uh, what I want reading stuff, you know? Um, and, and so that's why I think what turned me off about it. It didn't have that. And like, it should, he, like he, he's writing different things. Things shouldn't share the same feeling, but there's a sense of um, adventure in black science that I really kind of kin to in, in the way he writes that. Mm-hmm. And Lowe doesn't have that. And so for me, Lowe is not as interesting to me. Again, but we're, we're seven issues into Black Science. We're one issue into Lowe. Sure. So things could definitely change. It, Black it, Science caught you right away. It yeah. did catch yeah. me right away. Yeah, it did catch me right away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's go on to Books of the Week. Steve, what do you got for us? What do I got indeed? Uh, I've got The Thing Freak Show. I'm going to get the credits out here, and I don't have a timer on me. This is actually written by Jeff Johns. Yeah? Yeah, with uh, mm-hmm. pencils by Scott Collins, inks by Andy Lanning and Doug Hazelwood, and colors by David Self, with letters by Randy Gentile. Nicely done. Thank you. Um, so, as you know, listeners may or may not know if you're new to the show, um, Bob is a mega, mega fan of the Fantastic Four, but more specifically... Ben Grimm, number one character, number one of character all of time. all time. Um, so, in our journey here at Talking Comics, he's turned me on to the Fantastic Four, and I've grown very close to the characters. So, I found this in my pile uh, in my bookshelf, and I was like, "Oh, cool! I'm gonna go check this out." The first thing that grabbed me about it was Scott Collins' art. I really, really loved the art in this book. It is 
extremely detailed and just fun to uh, to look at. And it's very it's got a lot of movement to it. Uh, the colors are super bright, and I love the just the the motion and the way that the story plays out. There's so much like pounding on people and throwing people around and wrecking Ferris wheels and buildings and stuff. And it all looks really, really cool. Um, But what this story focuses on is it's a four-parter and it focuses on Ben Grimm and the thing kind of getting the backseat with the Fantastic Four as he's prone to do where, you know, the general public are always praising the acts of the Fantastic Four, but everybody loves Johnny and everybody thinks Sue is so pretty and Reed is so smart and Ben is just the freak. He's the, you know, the muscle. People don't really give him as much credit. There are people out there that love him, but they don't voice themselves as much as the others. And it kind of gets, you know, stuck in his craw a little bit. Let me throw in quickly. Yeah, there's, go ahead. A, there's a moment, there's a parade for them, and they're waving from the back of a car, and there's a little kid cowering in fear, right. looking at him, which is nice. Mm. People remember that he, he is the thing. He isn't chisel-jawed Superman. He's a Mm -hmm. monster. Right. So the thing decides to, you know, get out of Dodge for a little while, go and clear his head, and decides to kind of, like, hobo it a little bit by jumping Mm -hmm. onto a train and just taking it wherever it's gonna gonna take him. And he happens to find a freak show, uh, carnival types of, of atmosphere, and it turns out that he's been there before, way, way back before he became the thing. He actually happened upon this freak show, and caused quite the scene there. Um, there's one attraction or, or, you know, freak in particular that he just quite just went, you know, for the throat, calling him all sorts of names, um, even go, going so far as to kind of physically assault him and assault his feelings and stuff. And now Ben is on the other side of the fence being the thing. He is now one of the freaks. Um, but of course, this is a comic book and all is not well. The carnival's a little shady, freak show's a little weird, and there's an awful lot of cows around for seemingly no reason until we discover that they are, I'm going to spoil this, this little book, they're actually scrolls disguised as the cows. And then you find out that right in the middle of this freak show, uh, Ben is right in the middle of a war between the Kree and the scrolls happening within this freak show um, and coming off of guardians of the galaxy to see the Cree show up in a book that I just arbitrarily picked up. It was like, Oh my God, cool. I get to, you know, read more stuff with these people in it. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It was a nice light read. And if you like, you know, the Ben Grimm character, um, it's a, just a, a fantastic way to see more into his character and watch him kind of learn a, a hard lesson one that he that he needs to you know be taught mm-hmm. so bob oh, it's lots of fun but lots of pathos too it, when he picks on the albino character early on he's he and his friend are running away for, they don't want to be with uncle jake because he's with the new girlfriend petunia it's his, his old aunt petunia that actually ends up being like 25 years old anyway um the freak's mother curses him yeah you will know tears which come considering, yeah, maybe, maybe is that real? Could be. Well, that's the question. Yeah, it's a it's a big question. Ben does learn a huge lesson here. The amount of, as you're saying, throwing around and fighting and good thing stuff and clobbering time and superhero yeah. and aliens and whatever, it's it's equally balanced with human moments 
among inhuman characters. Right. Which is what Ben's always been. He's been the most human character considering what's gone on here. Yeah. Jeff Johns, as usual, you're talking about him loving mm. history. There's so much deep history here. The the, the lead Skrull character is actually from the DeFalco Ryan run. Mm-hmm. He's Paybock the Power Skull, who is actually, he's the person who kidnapped Alicia and replaced her with a Skrull so she'd married Johnny. So he could in, infiltrate the Fantastic Four back in the, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. That Skrull thing, the cows, yeah, that's from Fantastic Four number two. I know, I've seen the figures <laughs> at your house. Reed, Reed how do you... How do you imprison a scroll that can turn into a caterpillar and crawl through the bars? He hypnotizes them into becoming cows. They'll live a contented life and they'll be cows. <laughs> they reappeared. There they are in my curio cabinet. I have, th- I have all FF figures and three cows. <laughs> and people say, why are there cows? <laughs> you got to read the book. They're also in Avengers 93 in the middle of the kree scroll war. They show <laughs> up and they, they blast the vision out of the sky because, well, they're just not nice. But... Directly in FF Annual 17, John Byrne visit, revisits the town where they are, but it's in New York. Here it's in Michigan, the frog fishing capital of the world, mm-hmm. where the, the whole town has been turned bad because they've been drinking the milk. They've been irrigating the crops with the scrawled cow milk oh, no. that turns everyone alien and weird. So <laughs> if you want the follow-up to the Thing Freak Show, we should, you should definitely read. Okay. FF Annual 17 is, is, a, is a really, really good place to start. There you go. <laughs> Bob Ryer, everybody. <laughs> that, was, that was one of my books of the week. That's awesome, Bob. Thanks for all that information. No problem. That was great. You yeah, got I, me going all morning. <laughs> today. Yeah, it was cool because I picked it up. And like at first, I was just like, oh, a cool book that I have with really nice art. And it's, you know, it's the thing. I love the thing. And I saw it was Jeff Johns. And I know all the stuff he's been doing with the Justice League. I've really been enjoying mm. that. So it was, you know, another incentive to sit down and, and check it out. And yeah, it's like his very little known Marvel work. He did some Avenger stuff. He did some yeah. Thing stuff. He yeah. worked a little, a little bit at Marvel before. Yeah, I was super surprised. I was like, exclusive at DC. I was like, the same guy? Yeah. 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 Of course, it's 2002, I think. Yeah. So it's yeah. way back. Yeah, his Avengers run is, is decently well liked, too, I, th- I think, which is interesting. All right. Cool. What do you got for us, Steve? Uh, my other book, my last book, is a book from Archaea, and it's called Last Days of an Immortal. It is written by Fabian Vellman and illustrated by Gwen de Bonneville. So this book kind of blew my mind. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna do my best to describe it to you uh, briefly. Uh, pardon me if if I if I get some things screwed up, but this is a book that's basically about uh, these people called philosophers. And philosophers are, it's a station in life. It's the, you know, the philosophers of our times and our people, except this is in the way, way, way future in the distant mm-hmm. galaxy. And philosophers are serving as kind of the judicial system of the future. They are the judges. They are the juries. You bring crimes to them and they decide, you know, what happens to who. And they have a very interesting way of doing it because every crime that happens has a different set of laws. They don't have just one basic thing. They say that even sometimes the person being, if there's a murder, that even the person being murdered could be considered guilty um, just by the actions that they, you know, why were they murdered? What Was it justified? So it's a really strange, uh, strange place to be. But the story focuses on this uh, philosopher named Eli, who's kind of like, the grand poobah of this society that he lives in. And there's tensions brewing between two alien species and um, Eli, 
who is, you know, he's the evolution of humans. He's a philosopher. He's sent in as an impartial party to, you know, handle this case. And I'm just going to leave it there in case you guys decide to to check it out, because giving you the details of the case would be more time than we have for right now. But I will say this about the, about the book. Um, we've been doing the show for almost three years, and I've delved a lot into, you know, strange stuff and sci-fi stuff. I have never read anything comic book wise that has felt so rich in science fiction and just so like deep inside of it. Like I think of like those old um, like novels and volumes of people that have written entire worlds and whole species and whole political systems. And, you know, they've got 17 volumes to this gigantic thing. That is all of that in one collected story, one, you know, original graphic novel and um, just some really crazy stuff. They have this thing where they actually make what they call echoes of themselves so that um, the philosophers, if there's too many cases, they can actually replicate themselves and send the different echoes out to different cases, to like different parts of the world to deal with different things in different galaxies. But there's a hook to the echoes, and I want to um, read just this one part from the book. Little girl is asking Eli, she says, if someone gets killed, there's still an echo of him alive, right? He goes, that's right. We can then turn that temporary echo into a primary body, a body that can last forever and make its own echoes. We just put that echo in a teletransformer and change its vibrational code. Easy as pie. So, of course, but one of the one of the hooks and the last thing I'll say about this, the book amidst all of this crazy and I use the word world building a lot when I talk about books. This is not just one world. This is many, many worlds and many races and different aliens and different dialects and different, you know, greetings and gestures that they all have. But it's just you have to teach your echo what you know by downloading your memories into the new echo that you've made little by little, the more echoes you make, you erase your past. There's somebody very, very special to Eli that he doesn't want to ever forget. So he basically sits and teaches each one of his echoes. He gives them his entire history or the entire history of the case that he has to work. And that plays into the story. And the way that the case is wrapped up is very unique and very, very cool. Um, I highly recommend if you guys are into like hard science fiction and you're looking for a really cool graphic novel that delves into just gigantic concepts and worlds and stuff. It's called Last Days of an Immortal uh, from from Archaea and it's Gwen de Bonneville and Fabian Vellman on uh, writing and art. Fantastic book. Cool. It's a very cool. you book. I read this a long time ago as well. And like uh, it it's. It's strange. Like it you, is. you've been putting out like a lot of it's sci-fi, and it's not just sci-fi. It's like really strange sci-fi. <laughs> like it's really bizarre, and it's like high concept stuff, and it's good, but it, it isn't necessarily all like um, I don't know. I, I can't think of a good like easy mindless sci-fi movie to watch, but it is like kind of Twilight Zone-ish. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. that's why I'm describing it as hard sci-fi. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think of something like Low or Black Science, we've, you know, they're doing something new, but we've kind of seen those, you know, jet-setting situations going from planet to planet or time to time. This is, like, old sci-fi, just really, like, you have to be into science fiction and kind of the... um I don't More even, Ray Bradbury than Flash Gordon? Yes, Okay. yes. 
Uh, and the world that they hang out in is really cool. There's a pool uh, or a body of water that's in this really weird shape that has its own waterfalls and kind of like water slides just by the way the water moves against their gravity. Wow. It's yeah, it's super cool. Um, yeah, but definitely like like Steph said, it is strange. Um, but if you want strange and you want something otherworldly and really out there and something you could chew on for a while, uh, Last Days of an Immortal is not a bad way to go. Right. They're like they're like the observers from Fringe, the philosophers. Yeah, in a way. The hmm. reference goes right over my head, but I'm you sure people who didn't watch, you watch Fringe, Fringe. No. Oh, I thought you did. I did not. Oh. Hmm. Did not. Oh, um, well, somebody will get it then. It's not you. <laughs> no, who's not Fringophiles? Do they do they have a cult name for themselves? The people <laughs> who watch Fringe, everyone has a. Oh man, I don't know. I don't know. Fringies. Fringies. <laughs> Fringies. I, apolog- I apologize if they're not fringies. <laughs> the bangs. Um. The bangs. Yeah, because in the UK, bangs are called fringes. Oh, I didn't know. Oh. That. I did not know that. <laughs> Thanks for translating, Stephanie. You're welcome. All right, <laughs> what do you got for us, Book of the Week? All right. My book of the week is High Crimes. This is another book that I talked about a little while ago. Um, But it's a book that was released digitally through uh, Comixology via Monkey Brain. Um, And it's Christopher Sabella and uh, Ibrahim Mustafa on art. And just before I even get into it, Ibrahim does like everything for the book. Like he does all of the art. I think that there's only two credits to... Um, the book and it's just like Christopher Sabella writing and then everything else is Ibrahim. So that's pretty crazy that it's like colors, inks, uh, pencils, everything. Anyways, so the premise of this is um, there's a snowboarder, an Olympic snowboarder and um, something happens and she winds up, you know, in a big controversy and um she's they try to strip the medals from her but she flees and winds up in Kathmandu. um so she works there her name is zan and uh she works there with her partner haskell and they go up mount everest taking tourists um you know like you do and uh in their spare time they collect body parts from mount everest and they bring them back down and they contact um, the, the families of the people who've died on Everest. And uh, they bring, they, they basically extort them for money. They, you know, they do a body collecting fee. Um, so they contact them and if they want them to go bring back the bodies, then they do. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so they wind up getting into some shenanigans when one of the body parts, they bring back like, the hand to identify, and when they're going through um, the database, it pings, and it turns out that this dude is a that's you know pinged is a spy, and he's been missing for a long time, and there are some bad men after him, bad men guys. <laughs> um, so this you know starts off a whole series of things, an avalanche, if you will. anyways so um they wind up you know trying to figure out what's going on um and they're trying to save their own lives and figure out why they're after this spy and the information he had and um you know they want to get out of this alive and all of this 
um, is Everest. So the stakes are high. <laughs> Literally, they're very high. I had no idea that that's what this book was about. Yeah. That's crazy. It's a pun. Yeah. No, I, I, I get yeah. that now. <laughs> I didn't I had no idea. Yeah, like the first one kind of starts off as like, the first issue starts off a bit like um, it, they're just doing the, they, they build up the characters and they tell you kind of about their side business and what they're doing. And then uh, in the second issue, they really get into um, the the meat of it and, uh, you know, the stuff with the spies and how they're going to potentially get out of this or not. Uh, and now there's... They're into seven issues. They have seven issues on uh, comicsology. So I've read all of them, and it's very good, very interesting. Um, art's amazing, story's amazing. And they give you, like, little bits of information as you go along as far as our main character, Zan. She is just, she's fucked up. She's majorly, <laughs> majorly, majorly messed up. You know, she crashed and burned at the Olympics, and... It just really messed with her mind, and you're trying to find out kind of her past, piece together what happened to her to get to that point where she crashed and burned, and how she wound up in Kathmandu as a result. And it's interesting, because that's not the main focus of the story, but they still managed to tie it in without making it feel like weird exposition. It just kind of, it's part of the story. It's not, you know, there for the sake of it. It's great. I love it. Awesome. Is this a mini and ongoing? Um, I'm pretty sure it's ongoing, um, but it did say monthly for a while, and then I don't know when the last issue came out. Um, but let me let me take a look, and I will okay. keep you kids posted. Do do cool. do. Awesome. Yeah, no, the no first er, sorry, the seventh one came out on June fourth. So I'm gonna guess that. We will hopefully be getting another one soon. Mm. Yeah, Monkey Brain is one of those you can now download them. Yeah, they're technology and own them. Oh, essence. probably. I'm. I'm. I guess um, almost certainly they are. I think so. I think eventually you'll be able to get print copies of it. Yeah. Um, this might actually be one of the books that was announced um, to have like a trade with like IDW or someone, but I don't actually yeah. recall. Right. Yeah. I think most of the big ones did. I'm not sure if High Crimes is, is one of those or not. Um, all right, cool, Stephanie. Awesome. So that's High Crimes, what, one through seven, I guess? Yes. All right, cool. Awesome. All right, Bob, what oh, do you got I for us? I thought there was another one from Stephanie. I don't think so, right? No, no, go ahead. Okay. Okie dokie. So this is a last issue this time. It's Doc Savage number eight from Chris Roberson, Bilquis, Evely, and Daniela Miwa on colors. Miwa. Miwa. This is the finale of this whole time-spanning, era-spanning epic. This has been, issue one started in the 30s, and now we're into 2014, and it's an invention of Doc's that he wanted to connect all of humanity through bronze cell phones, so that anyone who needed to contact him for help, mm -hmm. instantly you could get help from he or his aides and his whole society of do-gooders and so on and so forth, but a villain has hacked into this with an idea from the 30s and has now turned all of humanity against each other at each other's throats. So can even Doc Savage stop an entire world that's gone in completely insane? We'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. Well, what we get here is a visit to his, and he had it first, Fortress of Solitude, 
We get to see his origins and his, his newest group of aides as they try to find a way to fix this. Technologically, isn't happening. Despite him being the most brilliant man on earth, there's some things that tinkering can't fix. Spoiler, he actually turns humanity around through the force of his own will by making a speech to everybody who's going crazy because these phones are broadcasting things into their head. Hmm. He actually calms all of humanity. That's pretty darn heroic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris Roberson, who did masks for Dynamite last year, really has a great handle on these older characters. And this this is a tough one. This is in some ways the first superhero. It was created in 1933, so long before there was Superman, the Man of Steel, there was the Man of Bronze. And since his real first name is Clark, <laughs> and he has a fortress of solitude, it is all pretty interesting that DC's character ended up <laughs> in the same place. Just a lot of fun. They're moving this, again, this is the last issue of this series, and they're doing a sort of another grouping. It's the Shadow, Doc Savage, and a character called the Avenger, which is created by Lester Dent, who created Doc Savage, who's sort of a spy-punisher cross, but long before any of those sort of things, who basically can't feel pain and has this white face like the Joker and pretty spooky, and that's coming soon. And where I was looking up stuff for this, because back through some older Doc Savage books, including Finding the Shadow and Doc Savage had teamed up for Dark Horse with covers by Dave Stevens, I found DCs in my box where they were doing this a couple of years ago in 2010 as the first wave Brian Azzarello and Phil Noto doing a Batman-Doc Savage crossover. I think I actually have that. Yeah, same. Unfortunately, this whole thing went awry because, well, they went New 52, so that stopped any growth they would have had. And they were trying this in-between time periods characters. It didn't quite have the right feel where... When you look at what Roberson's doing here, it's the language of, of whatever era this has been, and he's gone through seven different decades to get here. It's all spot on. He really is a very good writer that doesn't get a whole lot of right. He used to. With, I mean, yeah. he used to, but uh, it, he's you know he's been doing a lot of stuff. I mean, he started Monkey Brain, obviously, so mm-hmm. that uh, it's a huge thing. I, I think that his fallout with DC ha- ha- has led to him doing more interesting things, even than he was doing before. Yeah. Um, I, I what you said is interesting to me because I, I do feel like the characters suffer when they try to bring them into a more modern setting. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, characters in the superhero genre, I mean, obviously the DC Marvel characters, they've been they've been constantly around since the time they so sure. they they've been developing into more modern heroes kind of gradually. These heroes who kind of went away for a little while and kind of are on of a certain time, I think it works better to do them as period, period. pieces. And I think there's probably exceptions to that. I, I'm probably wrong. I mean, I think that um the the Mark Way Dr. Spectre thing, I think it's modern. Um, and, and other things, but I think like you know, Doc Savage, Green Hornet, stuff like that. I think it belongs of a time, of a place, yeah. without trying to be like. Because I feel like a lot of times they make it modern, they try to say like, oh, it's like it used to be, but it's a little bit different now because of this. And I, I feel like the, the the soul of these characters and the heart of these characters often exist in in the time period in which they were created. Well, there you go. When when in masks, when you saw Miss Fury. Chris Robeson wrote her just the way Tarpe Mills had, an elegant character with a good moral center, wanting to do the right thing. And then they did a solo series, which is one of the worst things I've ever read, and turned mm-hmm. her, even though it was the 40s, it was written as if it was now, mm. with that sensibility, and it was crass and coarse and hideous. Mm. There, you don't have to be beholden to make every word into, oh, it's the cat's pajamas, and turn right, this no. into the 30s. <laughs> 
you, you can have modern construction yeah. and modern storytelling, oh, yeah. but capture that element that made it work. When you see the Rocketeer movie, yeah, it's obviously the 30s, but it's a new, fun yeah. thing, and you can make that work, Yeah, but it's it's tough. It yeah. isn't the easiest thing you can come up with. No. Here, uh, there's a thing here. This is was I actually have the first Doc Savage paperback book from them. <laughs> when you see what, you know, Alec, for those of you, if you Google it online and look up the Man of Bronze uh, paperbacks, Alex Ross, who does, who's been doing these covers for them, is definitely beholden to this fellow named James Bama who did these painted covers. And then it's just carved out. It looks like he's carved out of rock. Mm-hmm. It's just pretty amazing. But Doc Savage and his Fabulous Five, they he had a credo. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, everyone had. But long <laughs> before with great power, there must also come great responsibility. But it's hard to have these words said by a character in 2014. So, And they swore a solemn oath that every member of Doc's team has continued to live by in all the years since. To strive every moment to better themselves, to think only of the right and lend their assistance to any who need it, to take what comes with a smile, to do right to all and wrong no man. That's great in 1933. <laughs> it, it is great now, but it would come off a little right. odd. You have to use the right delivery mechanism. You, the, the message still rings true, but you have to deliver it in the correct way. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think, no, I think that's great. Right, so having it on a page where you're seeing him during World War I meeting mm-hmm. all these people... Wow, it now reinforces everything. For those people who haven't read much Doc Savage, they're still putting the pulps back out. They're doing um, double feature like once every other month. So if you want to get into some Doc Savage to be ready for the Shane Black movie that's coming. Cool. Awesome. And what else you got for us, Bob? I have what was digital, but I bought it print. It's Adventures of Superman number 15. It's Ron Mars. Evan Shaner, colors by Matthew Wilson, letters by Wes Abbott, and it's called Only Child. I was just intrigued by the cover. It's a, the mm. typical shot that you usually see of the crowd looking up. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman, mm. but Superman's in the middle of this right. pack of humanity looking upwards at this odd shadow hovering over the crowd. And we, <laughs> we open on the Daily Planet, and Lois is giving Clark grief about some story he wants to write about two brothers who were given up for adoption who have found themselves and she's like fluff mm. and he keeps yeah but it's it's really nice and how they fluff and she just gives him grief and all of a sudden out the window there's a meteor flashing through the sky oh he's not going to beat me to this story he's gone he's in that storeroom and he's changed clothes and he's run off to find this and she's on her way and it crashes into the harbor and knocks over some boats and superman of course saves this fella mm. and his and his cat <laughs> and turns around to a giant robot emerging from Metropolis Harbor. Mm. In, in, not to put too fine a point on it, if the, the Iron Giant film was an homage to Superman, this is the payback for that. <laughs> this is a just wonderfully charming issue as Superman has to deal with this giant creature which doesn't want to answer. There's a, there's a knockdown dragon. He gets beat through a warehouse. <laughs> And then there's a surprise in, in why this robot is here and where he came from. This is just... I, I'm going to get choked up. Anyway, because <laughs> The Iron Giant is just one of my absolute favorite oh, I love movies. That movie, yeah. And here is that turned the other way around. It is charming and wonderful. And Superman is tremendously heroic. It turns out this robot, what he is, is... In a nod to this, a Star Trek episode that's called The Changeling, that some of it got put into the first movie where we sent out a probe that comes back 
different than it went out. So this robot was sent away years ago and is now here as the scout for invading armada of aliens. Superman does what Superman does, goes flying off into space. The robot just sort of stands there. And Lois and Jimmy, who, of course, they're got to get the story and take their pictures there. What's he going to do? Mm. Read this issue and find out. I <laughs> cliffhangers I, with you today. I love cliffhangers because yeah. I'm not, I don't want to give the whole story away. There are just such lovely, charming, heartfelt moments in this book. And to read a Superman that reads like the Superman I grew up with. This is the George Reeves Superman, the Christopher Reeves Superman. And it's Lois and Jimmy and the planet and Metropolis. And then add this other character to it and wonderful flashbacks and touches to other things. I've been giving this to, telling this to everyone over the last week. This is a book you, you want to buy. Yeah, I heard really good things about it. I mean, Evan Shaner, uh, Evan Doc Shaner, yes. which is what people call him, uh, it, it draws a fantastic Superman. He puts it up on his Twitter a lot. Yeah. Uh, he actually drew that Buddy Cops like one-shot thing that I oh, talked I about that. last year. Oh, yeah, right. Um, he did the art on that. Yeah, he, he's fantastic. Yeah. He's, he's such a great artist. Um, I have very, very... And Ron Mars, right, is the artist. Yeah, who did Green Lantern for yeah. like, 10 years. Right, yeah. Created yeah. Kyle Rayner. And this has space adventure, but lots of Earth stuff and awfully touching finale. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Adventure Superman number 15. Yes. And Doc Savage number 8? Number 8. Okay, cool. All right, so for me... Um, Two things to talk about. Uh, Bodies, number one from Vertigo. I want to talk about it more because it, I, I think it's a very interesting issue. Um, and I've got to bring up the, the the ridiculously long credits list that exists for this issue. I have no idea where it is, which is going to be a little trouble. But there's a lot of artists uh, on the book. Um, it takes place in multiple time periods. Basically, there's a murder you start out with. And we start cycling through many time periods in what seems like kind of Whitechapel, mm. London, because they, oh. because uh, uh, the Jack the Ripper is noted in kind of th- that time period's piece, uh, and they're like, well, it's not him because there's all this stuff, but they, all the murders share a, a similar um, mo, and they might possibly even be the same body. So w- we don't really get a sense uh, uh, quite a, a, of what exactly is going on because it holds a lot of stuff back. But it does in- introduce some several interesting ideas. So the artist, it's written by Cy Spencer. Uh, the artists are, the 2014 story is Megan Hetrick. The 1890 story is Dean Ormston. The 2050 story is Tula Latoy. <laughs> and the 1940 story is Phil Winslade. Um, very disparate, different looking artists. I mean, the... I, I uh, the 1890 story I think is it might be my favorite looking one of them all the Dean uh, Ormston story I think it is pretty awesome uh, looking but I, I felt th- I felt like the themes of the uh, the investigation and and the practices and, and the character the the it's all every single time we're in this time period it's a different person from this same sort of lineage of people mm-hmm. dealing with 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 the murder. Um, the book did leave me a little bit confused as to what is going to happen. So that's the only turn off for me is that I don't quite know exactly where we're going, but I found, I love crime stories. I love mystery stories. Um, and so I'm excited to see exactly, exactly where it goes. Um, you're going to pick up issue number two. Or you're going to wait. I think so. I think I'll pick up two and see much like low. I want, I want to see, see, did you read it? Cause I know when, when we, um, when, when we read out the releases last week, you kind of, you gave one of your like, yeah, things. I, to it. <laughs> I was really turned on by the cover. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love the cover. I had that in my going to buy pile 
And then as the books piled up, because last week was pretty big, it got moved to the maybe pile. And then I just, I've really been trying to get more strict with myself, um, kind of like the situation with Low, where I'm going to just go to trade. Mm -hmm. There are, I've noticed that there are stories these days that I can wait. I, and, and this is one of those situations where I, I know nothing about it. Like I've, you know, what you've said in the last couple of minutes, but it doesn't sound like something that by the first issue that is going to hook me that I would mm -hmm. rather wait until it's only eight issues. Eight issues. That's something that I, that I can wait. If I hear two, three months in like, oh, dude, you read bodies, then maybe I might have to reassess the situation. But as it stands right now, I think I'm going to wait for the trade. I mean, I, I wouldn't blame you uh, for that, but I, I think it's an issue and a, a series worth speaking about a little bit, just because I think that it's doing something very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, Stephanie, did you read this? I actually did. Wow. All right. What did um, you think of it? I thought it was interesting. I, I thought, like you said, it was a bit confusing for a first issue. Like, there was too much going on. I think um, a better kind of way to approach this issue kind of maybe would have been to split up the stories. Mm. Like, you know, do one in like the first two issues or something. I don't know. It just felt like not a good introduction to the book. Right. I have a feeling that this is one of those series that there, there's probably a reason behind why they're splitting the, the timeline mm. so much and that's all going to come together in some way. Um, but I do agree. With you. I think similar to what, um, what you're speaking about, about the lost broadcast earlier was that it does feel like the first 25 pages mm. of a much bigger story. Mm. Um, which it's an eight issue story, so obviously that is exactly what it is. So I have less problem with it uh, in that fact. But it, it, I, I don't. I think it'll probably read better as a trade where you can kind of go through it and absorb all of the complicated, timey wimey stuff that's happening mm -hmm. as you go along. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the, the, uh, really, I, I thought the diverse art styles were, was really cool, though. I thought that the fact that they changed up the art and I thought each one was different enough where I was never confused about at least what time period. I was in. I thought that was smart because I think That's cool. if it was the same artist, I think that would it would have been even more confusing because you would have been dealing with the fact that you're trying to suss out like, is this 1890? Is this 2014? Is this 2015? Yeah, all this? you have is the little box at the you yeah. know, top left corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, the different art styles definitely helped in that fact. But bodies, number one, um, Cy Spencer, uh, Megan Hetrick, Dean Orstrom, T Tula Latoy, Phil Winslade, and Lee uh, Loudridge on, I think, colors. So good, good, good stuff from, from them. Uh, my second one is after we saw Guardians of the Galaxy and we're going to be obviously kind of lead into our review after the break I uh, I realized that like I was like it was probably it was probably when the movie got officially announced for the first time they did a sale on Comixology where they had the first six issues of the Abnet Landing run mm -hmm. for like 99 cents an issue and I picked up the first six uh, and, and, I, I, and they also have a Marvel Unlimited and so I was kind of looking at both I was gonna read the Marvel Limited, then I realized I had the phys I had not the physical, but I had like the bought copies, and it's just a little more reliable the Marvel Limited. So I I, I decided to read those. My first thing was I was like looking up like reading orders and stuff like that because there's a lot of cosmic stuff that happens around that Abnanning Landing Run. The, the Guardians of the Galaxy is kind of the fallout from two rather large events that happened cosmically mm -hmm. that time: Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest. Annihilation dealt with Annihilus, which I think was Giffen was writing that. Then Abbott and Lenning wrote Annihilation Conquest, which dealt with Ultron and, and other stuff like that. Hmm. Um, the reintroduction of Adam Warlock. Uh, uh, um, and also kind of, I, I believe, and we're trying to go back and read them, really the definition of what this new Drax and also um, Ronin, the Accuser, and all this stuff. A lot of stuff that we saw in, in Guardians of the hmm. Galaxy. Uh, but I, I just wanted to get a sense of their Guardians of the Galaxy. So I read the first two, first two issues of their Guardians of the Galaxy run. And... Um, 
looking kind of for the similarities between the movie and it, and there definitely are those things. I mean, Rocket is very much the same. Uh, Peter Quill has the same uh, attitude uh, there. You know, they're dealing with more of in the, in this book. They're dealing more. With, they're already a team. Uh, it's their kind of first mission, but they've already they've known each other for a very long time. And this is kind of a natural progression of them. Just Peter Quill's thing in the book is like we had Annihilus, we had Ultron. We need a group of people who are going to go out and stop these things from happening. We can't always be reacting to this horrible threat that's going to end the universe. We have to be proactive. We have to be out there. We have to try to stop it before it even start, it even happens. <clears throat> so they form this team. The team is a little bit different than um, the movie team. I mean, it basically has all those players, a couple extras. So it's Peter Quill, Star-Lord, it's Gamora, it's Rocket, it's Groot, it's Drax, uh, but it's also Adam Warlock, uh, Quasar, um, female Quasar, um, and those, they're added on to the to kind of the story, uh, which is interesting because uh, I, I really... Adam Warlock, I had read, uh, you know, in Infinity Gauntlet, which he was cool, and he's a little bit different here, but sort of the same. Um, I was, I really, really liked Quasar quite a bit. Um, uh, she was a very interesting character, and and they did this cool thing, they did this framing device in the first two issues, and I'm not sure if it goes beyond this, but they frame it under debriefs. So basically, it's like after the mission has happened, you get the members of the team talking to like their kind of their liaison at the at the at the, at the, the base. Um, what happened. So you get this kind of framing device and narration of all these people talking about it, which really gets you into their personalities relatively quickly, which I thought was a very smart thing by Abnett and Lanning. Um, a lot of the same kind of places there, are, their base is in nowhere, the, the giant head. Um, it's funny because there are aspects, there are things in like uh, the, the the space dog, which appears a little bit in Guardians of the Galaxy, which we'll talk about later. Um, it is like the, their like tactical chief in the, in the book, yeah. uh, which was very, very cool. Uh, a lot of great stuff there. I mean, the, the relationship with the characters was great. There was a, it's funny. Um, I, you know, I, I've only read very little of their work before. I mean, I, I, you know, they're very well regarded as writers. Uh, they're incredibly creative and, 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 and powerful writers in a lot of ways. They have a lot of fun with their characters, but they also are very good at establishing tone and identity of people like almost instantly. Um, and I, I think that it's very present here in the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. Uh, the art is actually by Paul Pelletier, who has been doing Aquaman for, I think, the last 12 issues last year or something like that. I know he's done a lot of other stuff as well. Uh, great, great art. I, I think that, for me, like I, I did some research before I read it, so I had an idea of where I was jumping into. If I just jumped into it not having done the research and I had just seen the movie, I'd probably been like, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Who's that guy? There's some stuff here that's weird uh, to me. But I think that it, it's an engaging read, and I think once you kind of get past that initial feeling, I think uh, it's a really, really good stuff, and I, I'm, I'm excited to just... So I think it's only about 25 issues, I think, is their total run, so I'm excited to go through it and, and read it all, especially after seeing the movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, but highly, highly recommended for anybody who is interested in Guardians of the Galaxy. Check out the Abnet and Landing stuff. Um, all right, so that's it for Books of the Week. Uh, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to review Guardians of the Galaxy. What a feeling... All 
right, we are back, and we're here to review Guardians of the Galaxy, the newest of the Marvel Studios film, which opened this weekend to a whopping $94 million oh, yeah. for its opening yeah. weekend. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, for those of you who don't know, well, first of all, I should start out, if you guys, this is your first movie review with us, um, what we do is we'll do a general impressions type of thing with... Look, if you don't want to know anything about the movie, then you should stop listening. Um, but we will not go into spoilers. We'll talk about character stuff. We'll talk about overall impressions. We'll talk about early plot details. Um, and then we will clearly delete when we're going to do spoilers. And then we will talk about spoilers after that. So um, if you want to know a little, about the, a little bit about the movie, keep listening. And then stop when we go to spoilers. If you want to know everything about the movie, obviously keep listening. If you've, especially if you've seen it. Um, if you want to know nothing about the movie, go see the movie and then come back and listen to the episode because we will talk go. about things in the movie. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy is the story of Peter Jason Quill, who is a um, a Terran who gets abducted from Earth um, and and becomes uh, basically a galactic outlaw, stealing artifacts. And in the beginning of this movie, he ends up um, stealing something that's a little bit out of his depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it leads to... Uh, some very bad people being interested in him and also him meeting up with a group of people who eventually become the guardians of the galaxy. We have Gamora. Um, we've got rocket raccoon Groot and Drax, the destroyer, all who have their own stories and their own kind of arcs and pathos. Um, and, and that's where the movie goes. The movie's directed by James Gunn um, and is the 10th Marvel studios film wow. and the first um, galactic Marvel film. Um, Stephanie, let's start with you. What did you think of Guardians of the Galaxy? I loved it so much. Um, I think that sums it up. <laughs> um, but really, like, I went in thinking that this would be great. Like, I think, you know, initially when we were talking about how we thought this would play out, I'd said that it was kind of give me the vibe of the losers in space. And that's still kind of, you know, that, how it ended for me. Like, it felt a bit like that, but just better. Mm-hmm. Um, the writing was so clever and, you know, all the jokes and the punchlines, like for the most part, they weren't there just for the sake of being a punchline. Like it all kind of tied into the story and into the characters and nothing felt, you know, out of place. It all felt really well, uh, really connected to each other really well. And I dug it. The music was so fun. I thought that, you know, as we watched the trailer and hooked on a feeling was obviously like, the big thing to go along with the trailers. And, you know, I thought for sure that was a weird word. Sure. (laughs) Um, It would just be, you know, for the trailer and it would really be something else. Mm -hmm. But like, nah, that's, those are his jams. He (laughs) really, really just loves that song. Um, And I thought it was great. Chris Pratt was fantastic. Um, Vin Diesel, you know, got a hefty paycheck for three words. (laughs) Um, And I didn't really expect to like Bradley Cooper as Rocket Raccoon. And yet I find myself thinking he was absolutely amazing. And I can't picture anyone else doing the voice now. Um, And Gamora, Zoe Saldana was fantastic too. I don't have enough good things to say about this film. All the things. I love them. <laughs> love them so much. And it's the first Marvel movie written by a woman. It is co-written. Um, sorry, wh- wh- I can't remember her name right Nicole now. Nicole Perlman. Perlman. Nicole Perlman. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is a big deal. Yeah. It's uh, James Gunn and Nicole Perlman are, are the credited screenwriters 
on it. Um, obviously, James Gunn uh, directing it. Um, Bob, what did you think of the movie? Oh, I loved it. It's amazing that you could cobble together something that is so loopy <laughs> in, in, in ideas and craziness. It is really out there and yet still have such heart. And each, as you said, each of these characters has their own pathos, their own story. You open with an Indiana Jones moment, really, and obviously mm-hmm. an homage yeah. to that considering what he's doing, that becomes this heart-wrenching story that now informs Star-Lord's character for the rest of this film. And it's the thing that makes those song choices important. I'm spoiling something here, but not too much, I, <laughs> I don't think. And you're introduced to the characters in an organic way. They fit together perfectly, and they shouldn't. But because they, they're not thrown together by the screenwriter, though they are, mm. they're thrown together by the needs of the plot and, mm. and what's happening with those events. And so you grow with them as they, they as real people do. They snipe at each other. They, they give each other grief. The humor flows from those natural situations. As Stephanie says, they're not, oh, look, I'm going to tell a joke now. Mm-hmm. No, it's just what people do with each other in stressful situations. Right. You get villains that are villainous with some really big ideas. We'll save those for the mm-hmm. spoiler end of things. The special effects are incredible, and not the least of them grew and, and rocket. Mm-hmm. After the first couple of minutes of getting used to looking at them, you never thought again that you were looking at a CGI effect. No. There were real, actual living beings on the screen. That must have taken, well, you saw the credits. There yeah. were 4,000 <laughs> animators. There probably one for each hair on Rocket's back. Yeah. Including somebody named Puya. <laughs> I didn't see that. See, there's an Easter egg I missed entirely. You had great supporting characters. Now, whether that's the collector who we see, who's still kind of weird. Yeah. But him. not but he, as weird as he is in that Thor no, that's credit true. sequence. He's, he's pulled back some yeah. from that. But you're setting up the next movie without it feeling like that's a setup too. And mm-hmm. it's a setup to the next cosmic phase of the Marvel Universe, as well as a Guardians 2 and wherever else they want to go. You're left with how many movies you could make out of this? Many as you want, please. Just keep making them. I really, really love this. Yeah, I mean, I think that Guardians is... Um, it's really kind of a, a feat of imagination and, mm-hmm. and, and filmmaking to me. I, I think that it is possibly, it's got to be one of the funniest action movies I've ever seen. And it's funnier yeah. than most movies that are trying to be comedies yes. as well, which I, I find to be stupendous. I, I think that Chris Pratt, uh, who people who watch Parks and Recreation, he's no, he's no stranger uh, to you. Um, brings a lot of the same qualities to this movie that he that he displays in that show uh except in that show he plays kind of an idiot uh, in the show he's not really an idiot he's just like of a, a scoundrel um and, and he just has a a great presence you know he's charming he's funny uh he, he draws you in you you just like him immediately um i i felt like like you like stephanie was saying bradley cooper as rocket i, I think you know i think he's the the center of the movie in a lot of ways. You know, I, I feel like he provides, first of all, he's the, he's the tonal, like, this is the movie. All right. We have a raccoon that shoots a gun and you're going to deal with it. All right. And it's going to, you're going to, you're you're not only going to deal with it. You're going to love it. And you're going to forget that you're even seeing it. You know, it's just going to be a thing. Um, and the amount of 
like you know snark and and and, um, and humor behind it, but also, I mean, there's this one scene in the movie which we're not going to spoil but if you haven't seen it. Like, I almost cried mm-hmm. at, at something that he was saying. And, mm-hmm. and that's amazing, you know, to, to have that kind of range on a character. And I think that's the general overall theme of this movie is that as the plot is good, you know, it's, it's a simple plot, but it's a good plot. Um, the villains are also very interesting and, and good, but the, the characters, the, the, the core members of the team are so interesting and so fun to be around that they overshadow everything else in the movie to me. I just want to spend time with those people doing their thing. Um, really blew me away. The movie blew me away. I haven't felt this way about a movie in a very long time. Um, it's a different feeling that I have with the Avengers because I feel like, and I, I feel like for a certain generation, um, and maybe a couple generations, obviously, because it's a it's an imagination touchstone. But these kind of space fantasy movies, like it, it, it automatically tugs at that part of my 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 heart where I think my my body goes. This is the kind of movie that made you fall in love with movies in the first mm-hmm. place. Uh, and, and so it, it definitely it brings that out in me. It makes me it, it it excited me in a way that I don't think even the Avengers did in, in certain ways. Well, uh, I would tell you what is with the Avengers as, and it's still my favorite of their mm-hmm. movies. It was expected. Mm-hmm. We were coming into that, and okay, there are the, these are these characters we've seen. They're going to act certain ways. We know Joss Whedon's going to put the right pieces in place in terms of the script and get them all stuff to do, and it was all spectacular. This was so unexpected. Mm-hmm. Even if you read these books, that you could do this live, right? And within Chris Pratt, you had he's he's humorous, and there's that charm. But you were getting the feeling I was anyway that some of that was to bolster his own ego. Oh yeah, totally. To, to, to just boost himself up that he could actually do these things because he really wasn't so sure mm. that he could. And as you went around the room with these characters, each one had. A story mm-hmm. and, a, and a plot point that went, wow, there's a lot more to, look, Dave Batista the wrestler. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I thought, oh, this, how is that going to play against all these outsized characters? And yet in his stoic delivery, you got something and then you heard the backstory and it's, oh, oh I shouldn't just be laughing. There's something else there, too. Yeah. So all those things were also unexpected. The depth that got provided, as well as all the fun, what a great stew. Yeah. Steve, what did you think of it? I absolutely loved it. I have not stopped thinking about it since I saw it the first time on Thursday night with you guys. Uh, I went home. I immediately downloaded the soundtrack (laughs) because I could not be without it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really, I'm I'm so happy that it it turned out to be what it is. And and I, I feel like... I haven't had that much fun in the theaters. I'll say this. I saw it twice. Um, the crowd that we had was better. Like we had like, you know, first come, first serve, Thursday night, people that had been waiting and got their tickets in advance and were dying to see it and whatnot. We had a great crowd. We really did. Everybody was laughing at, you know, at, at the jokes. It got to the point where they were laughing, like people were laughing so hard and for so long that you missed, you know, the line that came after that kind of stuff. But um, I'm just, I'm really, really happy with it. I loved it. I loved the, it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like I was dying with laughter, just out of my head. Loved the scope of it. The characters were all just very, very endearing. Um, characters that I didn't know what to think of. 
Drax being one of them, delivering what I, th- I mean, everybody's performance was top, but I mean, Drax really, really brought it from a- an actor or just a person playing this character who I hear wrestler and I'm like, oh, this could go one way or another. It could be a really awesome movie. And then we have, you know, Zoe Saldana and Chris, you know, Pr- uh, Chris Pratt and all these, you know, mega stars. Then you're throwing in this Dave Bautista guy. I don't know how that's going to go. And then he turns out to be one of the people that you warm to the mm-hmm. most. Um, I have maybe, you know, general impressions, just maybe one or two things to add about it that I, I thought were a little strange. But overall, I absolutely just adored it. I love the emphasis of music that the movie had, that the music was so important to the film, to the vibe of it. Um, and this is not going into spoilers, but just the way the film opens with a very, very emotional scene, something that I did not expect from the movie because, I mean, we were all, we had like Guardians fever. Mm -hmm. We were all sitting around looking through the trailers and the commercials and we're just like jittering in our seats like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And it comes on and I expected, you know, right out of the gate, big explosions and Mm -hmm. we're in the sky and we're flying around Mm -hmm. the cosmos and it wasn't that at all. We had this very personal moment, this very character-defining moment and it was so sad. Mm. And I was just like, oh, my God. And I'm like, is this movie not going to be what I thought it was? And then the very next scene, we get Star-Lord on this distant planet. And he, you know, the music kicks in. And from that, from the, the logo coming up on the screen, mm. you just automatically, it's like, bam, you are going to have an awesome time. Like, we might have just made you, you know, have some feels. But now you're going to laugh your ass off. Right for the next couple minutes. And we're going to show you all of these characters that a lot of you have never seen before. You don't know anything about. And by the time that you leave here, you're really going to care about them. And when we tell you that there's going to be a gardens of the galaxy two, you're going to cheer for that. And you're going to want that now. Mm -hmm. Um, Huge, huge success. I mean, money says one thing, but I mean, word of mouth, I've seen reactions all over the internet and stuff like that. People really enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Mm. I am definitely one of them. Um, I mean, I'm not going to give away just yet where it is on my list of Marvel films, but it is way, way up there. I haven't had that much fun at the movies in a long time, probably since Pacific Rim. Cool. So Awesome. Yeah. Um, Stephanie, who was your favorite character in the movie? Oh, God. That's tough i know it's a tough one um i asked the hard like, questions here on I mean, talking you can't, Groot and rocket they're not two, i mean they are two characters but mm. you can't pick one of them separately mm-hmm. because they work because they're a team yeah. um gamora didn't have as much characterization as i wanted her to so i don't think it would be her but i think you know just for the witty banter and everything it would have to be star lord <laughs> i don't know he was just so good yeah and like his on-screen like his charisma and his presence was just you know amazing yeah there was he stole the show i mean he was the lead and everyone else was fantastic can i mention that i love lee pace like love him <laughs> so yeah, i was much. gonna get into that yeah. knew he yeah. was going to be in the movie and still didn't know until like four days afterwards that that was him <laughs> mm-hmm He's playing Ronan the Accuser. Accuser, for people who don't know. Um, I, the Pie Maker. The Pie Maker. Mind blue. Pushing daisies, yeah. But yeah, I, I think Star-Lord. Yeah, it's interesting because I, the, the movie does such a great job, right, with establishing these characters and making you love them. And I, I, 
before the movie was coming out, I had this, I had this, these feelings. I had these Iron Man one feelings about the buzz around the movie, not so much about the movie itself. You know, I was thinking like the way people, the way people were talking about the movie, the way people were excited about the movie. It felt like that Iron Man thing, where people didn't really know what it was going to be, but they were very excited mm-hmm. to see what it was. But after seeing the movie, there's so many, there's so many comparisons. I feel like to Iron Man, and not because the plot's similar at all, but because much like Iron Man, it's the start of something new for the Marvel yes. universe. It begins something new. It's it's fresh. It's not Look, I love the fact that the movies are connected. I I'm always looking for that stuff. I think it's amazing. I think this movie does as well as it does because it doesn't have to worry about any of that stuff. It is doing its own thing and it's creating its own new connections and its own little easter eggs and pieces floating out there that you can grab onto if you're a big yeah. Marvel Comics fan. But it's not like Oh, when is you know, is Captain America going to show up in this one? You know, is Iron Man going to fly through the background? Whatever it's gonna, are they going to mention Stephen Strange? Whatever those things are that you're kind of waiting for in that in that terrestrial um, MCU, you weren't thinking about it here. You were just on for the ride. And if things came up, great. But if not, you were. I wasn't really concerned about them. You know, because I was just, oh my god, it's this world, and it's that world, and it's this new thing, and it's this ship, and it's this awesome thing they're doing now and it's this cool action scene and oh my god like what, what did rocket just say you know all this kind of stuff which i i was just wrapped up so much in the movie um you know i, I think that chris pratt is is utterly amazing in it i think that it, it's a it, it's a star making performance it's something that shows you much like robert downey jr in the first iron man mm-hmm. that this is a guy who can carry a movie who is just the thing that makes a movie star to me is that he's just so likable you know, I, I don't think there's a moment when you're looking at him where you're where you don't instantly kind of attract to him in some way with who he is. Um, you know, for me, my favorite characters. I think you're right, Stephanie. It's hard to separate Groot and Rocket apart from each other. Um, to me, their kind of tandem was kind of my favorite part about the movie. I I just loved I loved Bradley Cooper so much as that character. And when I think back of the movie. A lot of his lines and his moments are the things that I think of first when I think of it. Um, there's a couple fantastic group moments as well, which I think we'll get into in kind of spoilers. <laughs> um, uh, and a wonderful scene at the very end with Groot as well that's like kind of in the credits that's like unbelievable. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I think that the people in general are just, are just so good. And, you know, it's weird. I think that the thing about Gamora is I feel like She's not the heavy, but she's the most serious of of anyone in the of anyone in in the group. I mean, Drax is very serious, but he's so serious that he's funny. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? She is kind of I don't know if she's the moral center, but she's kind of the she's the honor of the group, right? She's the one who wants to do things for the right reasons. Um, she's a little bit caustic, obviously, at times when people aren't doing the right reasons. But I feel like that leads to less of her being kind of hilarious like the other people in the movie are hilarious. Mm-hmm. I think that Zoe Zaldana though is, is fierce in the movie. I think that uh, she's a character with agency and who was doing her own thing and who, who is in charge of her own destiny, which, which I love. Um, uh, I, I, I just love her in general. I think she, again, she is one of those people that I, I think is just so charismatic and so easy to like in things that it, uh, it, it's amazing to me how she pulls it off. I mean, we talked we, a couple of years ago when we did family remix, talk about avatar, and I thought she was amazing in Avatar, and it's not even her. You know, it's 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 a CG right. creation, but there's so much of her in it, and I felt like the same way here. Mm. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I mean, Bob, what about you? Favorite character? It's the it's the Rocket Group tandem. <laughs> but my surprise is, is Dave mm. Bautista as mm. Drax, because right. I just just as Steve was saying, I thought that was a throwaway, mm. mm-hmm. and he ends up being. 
you could sort of assign roles to these. Groot is the heart of this piece Mm -hmm. at a certain level, but Drax is the bedrock that it's all sort of based on. He's that guy that you need. In, in, in a fight, that's the fellow you need. And he comes up big and eventually ends up being gosh darn funny on mm-hmm. top of everything else. But what's, <laughs> what's really great for me is you have Gamora and she comes from a bad place to a good one. So she has a nice arc yeah, on does. top of everything else. And she gets her moments in the, the funny sun too. Mm. And because they come from that serious place, right. it's even funnier too. Yeah. And it's great. There's not a real, there's no tacked on romance. Mm-mm. There are no origin sequences necessarily, but you get to know where everyone comes from through just a few lines of good dialogue, just really clever and economical. And I know we were sitting there, it's two hours and two minutes, and there are lots of credits. Mm -hmm. There are lots of credits in this movie. And it seemed like it was an hour and a half. It just absolutely Mm -hmm. flew by because you're just reveling in what's going on. All these characters were great. There, there isn't a stiff in the bunch, and that's bad guys, including one we haven't spoiled yet. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah, <laughs> when I looked up and I realized that we were at the end of the movie, I was like, "We're at the end of the movie already." Yeah, yeah. You know, I was, and that's never happens. I'm it always, goes even faster the second time. I'm, I, that never happens, right? I'm always like, "Okay, one, okay." I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, "When's the end of the movie coming up?" This was like, we were at the end of the movie. I was like, "No," I was like, "We, I, I want more of this." Steve, who was your favorite character? Star Lord. Star Lord. Yep, easily Star Lord. I. Really, really appreciated everyone, and I love that everybody had depth and everybody served, you know, a different purpose within the group, and everybody had a different piece of like the moral center. The stuff with um, Groot and Rocket were phenomenal. As somebody that's really into special effects, the stuff that Weta has done with you know Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and all of that stuff to see other companies taking. CGI characters to levels that you can almost no longer tell the difference or you just like you said you forget Mm. you forget that you're watching a giant alien tree Mm. or you know some cobbled together failed lab experiment that happens to look like a raccoon but is not Mm. you know and just the stuff like when Rocket's getting frustrated and he's pulling on the front of his snout and he's just like, and I'm like I feel you, dude. I know it's so aggravating, right? Um, but Star Lord was the character that finally, finally, in a in a Marvel movie, in all these movies that we've had, we've had gods, we've had war heroes, we've had billionaires, and all these people. They're all great and they're all wonderful heroes. And I love the characters and all of that. I've never had a character that reminds me of me. I've never had a character that I've been like, you know what? I was there. Like, you know. I was traveling the galaxy stealing yeah. relics when I'm I was just a boy. Saying, like, <laughs> not, this isn't spoilers, but I mean, like, when he, he makes he makes a lot of references mm-hmm. to like 80s and 90s culture. Right. When, he, when he calls Rocket Ranger Rick, yeah, yeah. I freaked out. Yeah. I was like, I had a subscription to that magazine. Mm-hmm. That was like, that's awesome. He calls the dude a Ninja Turtle. Like, yeah walks around like his most prized possession for for very good reason is his his uh tape player mm. and his headset that's me like if somebody took my music away from me i damn right i'm gonna go get it back i don't care who i have to punch in the face or get electrocuted or whatever um and i just he was so smooth he was so funny and so smooth and i loved probably above anything else i loved his the way he broke things down for people when he would try to explain 
just the way things are when he was talking to Drax and when he was talking to Yondu and everybody. And he's like, I just broke it down for you. I just explained mm-hmm. it. Yeah. You know, and then Drax, I'm like, I wasn't really listening. <laughs> and I just, he's got so many crowning moments uh, of that movie. And he's a badass. And you see him develop. He always had heart. Like he had heart in the beginning because he was very sentimental. So that's already built mm-hmm. in. But there's a moment in the film, we'll probably get to it later, where he really, he there's a display of heart that you didn't know was within him, a sacrifice that he makes. And that really, th- those moments really, really endeared me to the character. And I like that he, like, he, he's, a, he's a kind of a ladies' man, how he's never afraid to go for, for women that are out, way out of his league. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I just I love I love his confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as far as characters, he was definitely the standout for me. Um, and you know, talking about we don't want we don't want to not talk about uh, the director, of course, uh, James Gunn, who previously has made two other feature films, directed two other feature films, uh, uh, Super and Slither, are the only two yeah. like feature mm-hmm. films that he's directed. Um, he's written a few. He wrote the Dawn of the Dead remake that Zack Snyder directed. He wrote both Scooby Doo movies. He worked on mm-hmm. Tromeo and Juliet. Well, yeah, I know, but Tromeo—that's another thing. He came from a people don't know what Troma is. It's a super low budget, um, super gory, super offensive movie studio that makes yeah. these little horror movies um, that are they're they're schlock B movie yep. stuff. Yep. Um, and he made two movies. I, I I don't think the budgets were above five million dollars for either of those movies. Um, and now he becomes the director of a hundred million dollar, you know, Marvel yeah. movie. Another inspired um, choice. Just yeah. a just a, a thing to point out for a guy that doesn't forget his roots. A uh, little Easter egg: if you pay attention to the movie, you'll actually find Lloyd Kaufman, who's the founder of Troma. He is in a scene in the film. It's clear as day. It's him, and it's hilarious. Yeah, it's in the prison scene. If people are looking yeah. for it, um, and I think one of the things he brings to this movie. I mean, he brings the humor, of course. Uh, in the movie, he's weird, too, in, in some ways, which I, I think is great. You know, it doesn't stay kind of on the same plane as a lot of the other movies do. Um, and also his reliance on... A, he does a lot of practical stuff. Obviously, there's a lot of CG here. We talk about Rocket mm-hmm. and Groot. But I think those things are even more impressive because the other main characters in the story, you know, um, Michael Rooker as Yondu, uh, Gamora... Uh, you know, so as Gamora, uh, Batista as Drax, they're all physical beings. They're all makeup and prosthetics. Um, Lee Pace Nebula. as Ronan the Accuser, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Karen Gillan as Nebula. These are all practical effects that they're using, and I think that mix and that reliance on that stuff, especially with those kind of, those characters, does a lot of a lot to putting it in that category of amazing movies that have amazing characters that you can relate to. Uh, and, and you know because he could have easily been like okay Gamora is going to be CG enhanced Drax the same all of this yeah. stuff and he didn't do it which I thought was fantastic I I especially Ronan especially Ronan the Accuser could have easily been a CG creation mm-hmm. but instead they, they use makeup and effects and I think it brings you into the world a lot more the world feels tactile it feels like something that you can touch um, Stephanie what are some other stuff that uh, some of their comments on the movie um I think what you said just now, like the makeup and stuff, that was definitely a big draw to the movie for me, too. You know, I actually don't really like uh, the Planet of the Apes movies because I feel like it's still, to me, is just weird. Like, I don't feel connected to those movies because, I don't know, I still see the computer graphics. And even though, you know, they're excellent computer graphics, that's still what they are to me. And, And 
like you said here, like I do get drawn into the film because these are real people like in makeup and you know, it doesn't, the makeup job is so well done that it doesn't even feel like it's makeup. Like you actually just feel like those are the characters Mm -hmm. and everyone in the movie owned their characters. Um, I'd say the Gamora actually, and this is probably no fault of Zoe Saldana, but Zoe Saldana is just Zoe Saldana in this kind of, like, I feel she's been this character more or less in the last probably five or six films she's been in. She does play similar characters in movies. I will and say yeah. that. Definitely. Yes. And I think that's probably a little bit of her casting, like what she chooses to be in mm-hmm. partially her fault and partially the fault of people who do cast her. Mm-hmm. But I do think she is getting a bit, uh, I mean, she's not typecast as one particular character, but she's typecast as, you know, a type of character. Mm. And I don't know. I just feel like her performance definitely could have been uh, more, you know, awesome. Um, let's see. I loved... Um, oh, yeah. No spoilers yet. No. Um, no. Hmm. I don't know. I just love the overall story. Like, I didn't expect it to have so much feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Definitely surprisingly heartfelt. Like how heartfelt it was at, at points. Yeah. And, you know, like we said, it wasn't backstory for the sake of backstory. Like it was legitimate, heartfelt stuff that tied into the whole movie and was just like, whoa, tears. What? Yeah. They do uh, a great job of using the villains as a way to bring you the backstory of the characters in the movie. You know, mm-hmm. there are reasons why we have to learn this about Drax now or Gamora now or Star-Lord now or Rocket now. You know, that it isn't just like, let me tell you about what happened to me. You know, it, 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 it's, this is what's going on. We need this information right now because it's going to help us do what we have to do. Apparently, Batista, Batista? Batista. Batista. Uh, he came to the Toronto premiere of it and a bunch of my friends like in media got to like interview him and they're like he's the nicest <laughs> and you know it's just not how i like would picture a wrestler slash drax right in real life he's so nice <laughs> um but he was so great he was surprisingly great i think you know we've all kind of uh independently touched on everything i could possibly say on the film without you know going into spoiler territory mm-hmm. I'll say one thing that I wished there was more of, though, and that was Nebula. Mm-hmm. I I didn't feel like she had a lot of um, time on screen to really be nourished into a full-fledged <laughs> awesome character mm-hmm. that she could have been. I don't think it's the last we've seen of her. I think I she, don't think so either. I think she's going to be a big part in the, in the coming movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this about Zoe Saldana. Um, I think she's great. I also think after watching this movie, I've seen her be a, a you know a Navi in the in the in, in um Avatar in Avatar. I've seen her you know she's in the Losers. She was in Star Trek. She's green here. She is like one of the most beautiful women I've oh, ever yeah. seen in my life. No oh, matter yeah. what color. Yeah, because I'm looking at her. I'm like she's completely green. She looks like She Hulk. You know, and I'm like, you are gorgeous. Like, you know, yeah. and it's just um, astounding to me how beautiful she is when I was watching this movie. And I like, and despite, you know, my reservations about her kind of being the same character and everything, I do appreciate that she does go out of her way regardless to choose um, these kick-ass women to portray. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, you just named all the movies that I think of when I think of her. And, like, she's not, you know 
pushover in any of those. No. Like, in The Losers, she destroys everybody. <laughs> she is, like, you know, a force of nature. And that's what she is in everything she's in. Yeah. And I her a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. Bob? What I'm really thrilled about this is... So many bizarre concepts, so many crazy things we're adding now to the, the Marvel Universe. Again, we're 10 films in, as we've all talked about. They've now done World War II and mythology and mm-hmm. science fiction and horror, space opera. And never, as with Thor's hammer, all the crazy things that did, I'm not going to stop and explain. Mm-hmm. Here's this thing we're getting. Here's what it does. Let's go there. Here's this giant hollowed out head <laughs> that is now a space station. <laughs> Fine. That's it. We're going there. Yeah. And they trust that we'll trust them. Mm-hmm. So they can put out the craziest things and we'll get to it without having you saying that clumsy exposition. Mm. And every once in a while, there'd be a couple of those moments here and then it'd be a snarky line that just, oh, stop. Yeah. You, know, you just go cut right to the heart of it. They believe we're, I, I shouldn't say this because I don't know for sure. I believe they think we're smarter. Mm-hmm coming into this than the regular audience and it's not even their properties i think it's the idea of the storytelling technique we can cut a little corners we can do a little shorthand here and deliver a movie that's going to just hit the ground running and go yeah absolutely i think that james gunn is uh, it feels like those movies we watched when we were younger the like star wars you see darth vader for the first time there's no effing explanation of who darth vader is yeah he's just a really scary dude who is you know is wrecking stuff across the galaxy and it's not till late, much later, that you find out anything about who he used to be, you know. And I think that that's, I think that that style of filmmaking is is a vital kind of filmmaking that I think gets lost in a lot of trying to over-explain what go, mm-hmm. what goes on. Um, see, any, any more non-spoiler thoughts before we um, move on? Stephanie reminded me just that I wanted to voice my praise for the makeup mm. of the film. Um, I mean, Zoe Saldana as, as Gamora looked wonderful, but. Lee Pace as Ronan the Accuser, Mm -hmm. my God. I stared and stared and stared at every time he was on camera, his face and that black, Mm. like crackled black, almost mud makeup that the, you know, I guess the people that were kind of doing his morning ritual reminded Mm -hmm. me of uh, Eddie Murphy and uh, was it um, Coming to America? (laughs) And uh, I need my facial scrub. (laughs) Your royal penis is clean. <laughs> so, you know, he wakes up every morning and he, he gets his stuff done. But his, like, I, I, I know we Pace. I've seen The mm. Fall and I've mm. seen Pushing Daisies. And it's the pie maker. Mm. And I didn't even, like, Stephanie, I forgot that it was him. I went home thinking, well, who the hell, who, you know, who was, you know, that guy? Because who's Ronan? Because he was awesome. And I'm like, no, mm. no way. And then I went and I saw it the second time. The voice on that guy like when he's yelling at a character that mm-hmm. I will not name, mm-hmm. that is some booming, scary shit, mm-hmm. like terrifying. Yeah. And I, although I would have liked just like maybe three or four more minutes with him for a bit more of his background, but like you said, well, actually, I don't know if we're gonna get that right. later. But um, I just I would have I would have liked a little bit more of a reason why he was the way that he was. I felt that they kind of gave you, like Bob said, the shorthand that it might've served to set that up a little bit better. It might've even set up something that comes later a bit Mm -hmm. better, but beyond that, um, yeah, just the, the, the makeup was, was outstanding throughout even the stuff with Yondu with the, 
the light up mohawk mm. and you know all of that stuff or the shopkeeper the you know the the pawn the pawn shop guy yeah. Yeah, he's hysterical um too. i love 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 that marvel has now gone into this territory where you could literally have you could have had anything walk by mm. in that movie and you would have been like yeah that belongs there right like there wasn't anything that was so weird that you couldn't have it like some of like the market scenes when they're hanging out in nowhere the stuff that's just walking through the streets you know it was practical effects real stuff yeah, it's the star wars cantina mm. out, right out in the street yeah absolutely yeah. and that's you know that's a lot of what james gunn is about i mean you go back to to slither um one of the slugs from slither yeah. shows up yeah. in the scene where oh, the really? collector yeah, yeah. Right the tanks, that. yeah you know and um I just I really enjoy who they got behind this film. I love the faith that Marvel places in their creators and directors and writers and stuff. And I mean, honestly, they they have yet to disappoint me. Mm-hmm. I've never walked away from a Marvel Marvel film being like, "Meh." Mm-hmm. You know, this was like strap in, let's do this. Let's just hope that this is as amazing as we've anticipated it to be. And it was just so much fun. And we need that in theaters again. Mm. We need fun. Fun was good. Yeah, it was It was a lot of fun. And I think that's the overriding message of the movie. And I think that we talked a little, you mentioned Lee Pace, the villain. We talked about them off and on. Yeah. Like I said, I think it's a testament how good the the good guys are that we were talking so little about the villains. Because I think that Lee Pace was great. Yeah. Uh, and I think that... I think Nebula was a. I think like Stephanie's saying, you don't get a ton of her, but what I got of her, it made me want to have more of, of her in yeah. the movie. Um, and I think that's you know that's a, a good place to leave off with a character that's obviously going to be a major part going oh, yeah. forward. Her couple of moments of icy menace were really chilling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's testament to how good those guys are that 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 stuff is not. It, 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 when I'm with the the villains, I'm not thinking, oh man, I, I, this is boring. But it's just when I'm with the good guys, I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing! Like I'm just like jiving with it the whole time. Um, yeah, but from the, the the humor to the characters to the music, both the score and the yes. and the and the music they use in the movie, the pop songs they use in the movie, because the score by Tyler Bates is really really good a- as well. Uh, I think it's just it over. Like, sh- sorry, go ahead, Stephanie. It was like the anti Spider Man too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that that like that first like the booming like. Uh, like trumpets over the Marvel logo and stuff like that. Uh, all that stuff is amazing, and I, I and I think that it gets overshadowed by the pop music, obviously, because that's just so memorable and it, it places it so interestingly. You know, the, and it makes the it, it makes you understand Quill even more. It's so funny because he is a man who is full of pop culture references from when he was eight, and and really that's it. You know, yeah. so past 1988, he's got nothing, but that's still you know eight years more than anybody else has so when he's making all these pop culture references no one else is getting the jokes and i thought that was a really interesting way to go about that um but yeah i thought it was uh, you know just for we're gonna get into spoilers very soon um my personal my thoughts on the movie like my my takeaway thoughts for people who are gonna tune out or that i don't think you you can do much better with with a, with a big action movie here uh this is the kind of movie that like when i have kids i want to sit sit them down and be like watch Guardians of the Galaxy. I want to geek out with them when they watch it. You know, it's that kind of movie. It reminds yeah. me, the Star Wars comparisons are very, very easy, but I, I think that in some ways they're very, very apt and correct because it has, it's a little bit dirtier than Star Wars. It's a little bit grimier than Star Wars. There's a lot more language than in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels to me like 
what would have Han Solo done before he showed up in the cantina at the in the in the first Star Wars movie? You know, what kind of weird you know shitty adventures did he get in before <laughs> he showed up? And, and it just has that. There's so much imagination. There's so much potential. There's so many things. Like even if you're not a Marvel fan, if you're just sitting out to watch it and you love sci-fi and you love space movies. You don't have to worry about like how is this connected to this? How's it? You're yeah. just like, oh my god, who was this guy? What's this giant head? What's this flashback they showed? This giant destroying this world? What is this? What is that? What is this? And it's just it's just food for imagination, and, and hopefully we'll see that pay off in the future Guardians movies. But I mean, for me, it doesn't get much better than this when it comes to pop cinema. Uh, uh, I just loved it so much. Stephanie, kind of closing thoughts on the movie. Uh, I think you kind of just said everything. <laughs> I I loved it. It's everything I could have possibly wanted. And I, I think I kind of said this online, but um, I loved it. You guys know how much I loved Winter Soldier, and I loved Winter Soldier more than Avengers, and I love this both more than both of them. Mm. Nice. It's it. Mm. Mm. But it holds up afterwards, which is so rare. I find now, like you can be amused during the film. But then afterwards, it all falls apart. And, well, sure, a ton of the stuff is, you know, crazy and out there because comic books, mm. it holds up because at the end of the day, it's a good story. And it was a good story that was told well. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Bob? Yeah. It, is, it isn't just the effects for the sake of how cool an effect can I put in this? It's to serve the story. It's to set the pace, to set the set the setting mm. in essence where are we and how are we doing this but it's those characters you, you mentioned the 80s it's this is raiders this is star wars it's romancing the stone it's back to the future it's got the vibe of all those movies that everyone could go see and everyone could enjoy if i have one complaint about this movie it's a few too many s words for the little ones <laughs> and i understand they wanted a pg-13 rating mm. and not a pg because that scares people away in this day and age, it really does scare people away who think it's going to be kiddish. That said, it, they've heard worse. Right. And it, it, yeah. it does, in context, the words are there for a reason, mm. and it works, and it's a punctuation. Right. But there's so much heroism and so much heart and so much fun can't do better as a summer movie for those who want to denigrate popcorn movies as some sort of mindless exercise this is the one that puts a lie to that mm. steve closing non-spoiler thoughts go see it <laughs> well. no seriously everybody everybody said so much um i've said so much i really i really enjoyed it i really just i mean movie aside i really just enjoyed the time that i had i enjoyed being with my friends i enjoyed the excitement and just the the buzz in the air of you know everybody finding their seats and waiting and the lights going down and you know we we re we've reviewed a lot of movies on this podcast so far and you know most of the time we like them and sometimes we don't and whatever and i walked away from this going like i can't wait to just tell everybody how amazing mm. this movie was without batting an eyelash right you know my friend michelle called me up she's like do you want to see it again? I know you just saw that. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I do. Oh, well, we're going to the 3D IMAX. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> Another 18 bucks. Fine. Yeah. Snacks. Fine. Whatever. Like, mm. let's go. Let's do it. And 
sitting there with her, knowing how hard she geeks out for this kind of stuff, I said, you're going to have a new favorite movie. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to watch you transform. (laughs) And she did. And it was just so exciting. I want to go again. I want to take my mom to go and see it. And I think it's a Marvel movie that everyone can get in on and can get behind. And it's the start of a whole new direction and a whole new arena for them in their, you know, Marvel film verse. And I think, I honestly think it's the most accessible out Mm -hmm. of, out of anything that they've done so far. I think it's the most inviting of all the Marvel films and it's just another sign of, of great things to come. And, and I'm just so glad that it was so amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, to me, it's been Marvel's best year. Oh uh, yeah. Between winter, winter soldier and, and this. this. Yeah. It's just amazing. You know, I, I, I can't believe that we're talking about that. Like the year before the next Avengers movie comes out, you know, and not the year the first Avengers movie came out, but yeah. I think this is by far their best year. I think they've hit kind of a creative stride with both of those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So that's our, that's our, uh, non-spoiler uh review review of guardians of the galaxy i think we're saying you should go see it um if if you don't want to hear anything else tune out now and we got we'll see you next week um but if you're seen the movie or you don't care which you should but if you but if you want to hear our spoiler talk then keep on listening all right now we're going to talk about spoilers all right so let's talk about uh the big plot point of the movie right which is what that the orb you see in the in the in the trailers it kind of has to be an infinity gem. And we, I think we kind of all suspected that that was going to be a part of this movie, but they never really outright said it. But we discovered that the, <clears throat> it's the power gem, I believe, mm-hmm. is what is in that stone. And it filters out into much of the, the universe. We've got um, Ronan wants it. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the Nova Corps, we didn't even talk about in the non-spoiler part of right. the show, wants it. Um, and, of course, Thanos is going to want it. Um, so Thanos is the first thing I want to talk about here. Um, I had avoided, you know, a lot of past, like the first big trailer for guardians. I had tried to avoid most of the, um, the news about it and the, and the, what's going on, the plot, all this stuff. So I knew Thanos was involved in the movie in some way, but I didn't, I didn't expect to see him like full bore. There he is. Thanos talking. It's Josh Brolin. Here we go. Uh, I expected him to be kind of like a specter, you know, in the background, maybe you see part of his face, maybe you hear his voice, whatever. But we get this flat-out scene with Thanos, Thanos and Ronan, um, and Nebula, uh, you know, arguing about uh, Thanos helping, uh, you know, Ronan obviously destroy Xandar. Um, Bob, I want to ask you, as someone who obviously is steeped in Marvel Comics lore, how did you feel about seeing this for the first time, Thanos really on screen? That was incredible. It is Josh Brolin. Yeah. I mean, you, you can see that it's him, yeah. but it's Jim Starlin's Thanos mm. on the throne, spinning around, hanging out in you know, the Starlin Ditko weird dimensional mm. space. That voice is absolutely perfect. His menace radiates from mm. the screen. This is the big bad. Mm-hmm. And then when there's that sort of reversal, right? It's oh, does he know who he's messing with here? <laughs> and Ronan takes that up a level mm-hmm. once he has the stone, once yeah. he has that orb. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it was. It was nice. See, it's funny. I think about Thanos. Like he just sits out in that chair, just hanging out in space, <laughs> nothing going on. He's just sitting there, just staring. I wonder if he's there all the time, or he just kind of goes there just for like these meetings that he has. He's like, no, tell him to come to the Rock in space. It's yeah. much more imposing. Come <laughs> like, to my house. <laughs> he's the alien, like. Uh, you know, person that sits on their lawn watching the highway. Right. <laughs> yes. That's perfect. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, Stephanie, what did you? How did you feel about that? Uh, that big Thanos scene. 
I thought it was great. Josh Brolin really nailed the voice. Like, I, I don't know. We thought Vin Diesel was going to be Thanos, right? Yeah, there yes. was there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I was like way into that, but obviously everything worked out. And <laughs> Josh Brolin has that kind of deep, menacing kind of voice. So, you know, all right. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. It it's cool. I like it. I think it's great. He just he doesn't do anything, right? Like he's just. Sitting the, there. He, yeah, he's yeah. just sitting there. I think the meanest thing he does in the movie is, you know, when, like, his daughter's sitting right there, and he's like, you've alienated my favorite daughter. Yeah. He's like, you suck. Yeah. You just suck. He's <laughs> like, I'm right here, Dad. I'm right here. But, I mean, that's really the extent. You don't even see him be, like, particularly threatening in any other way. Like, it's just kind of like, uh-huh. Yeah. His presence, though, is very yeah. imposing. Uh, um. Steve, how'd you feel about that scene? I felt very differently about it uh, the second time around seeing it. At first, I was a little jarred by him being very much a CGI character and not being in practical makeup. I know I got made fun of by some of you know some of the people that were there. Be like, "Well, what'd you expect, man?" Blah, blah, blah. But honestly, no. With a, a movie that did have so much, you know, practical effects and makeup. I thought maybe a couple of prosthetics mm. and, you know, they just bulk him up and he's going to be sitting in the chair. I didn't expect him to be a full bore uh, CGI character. However, that being said, I saw it a second time and I was specifically, I was like, waiting for that scene. And I'm like, well, maybe I was, you know, being harsh and ridiculous. And I was. <laughs> um, I got to see, believe it or not, when I saw, I saw it the second time in 3D, the 3D really, really helped his design for me in, in particular. Um, I got to see a lot more of like Josh Brolin around the eyes and it looked as almost as if like they put him in prosthetics, but they didn't, they didn't, they painted them a certain way. Maybe they painted them with green screen to just kind of give him the bulk and then kind of like just digitize it and go digital over it. And once I saw that and got to really scrutinize it and look at it up close, I really appreciated kind of the layering and the marriage of effects that they used to to make that. Um, and yeah, I mean, for some dude that's just kind of sitting in his recliner, you know, watching shooting stars go by, mm-hmm. for him to command as much, you know, everything that he does within the galaxy is... It's going to be quite the thing when he decides to get up out mm. of that chair. Because yeah. I yeah. guarantee you, with seeing him at the end of Avengers and him just kind of like, you know, you see his face and he grins. And yeah. that grin that he's got is fantastic. Yeah. You've seen that on every comic book page mm. that he's ever been featured in. But the day that, like, they pan down to his foot and his foot's leaving that little pedestal or whatever, the little ottoman that he's got, (laughs) and it comes down on like some moon or some planet and the dust billows up underneath his foot, everybody is going to be like, oh, shit. Yeah. Now it's on, because he got up. Yeah. He's pissed. Um, Yeah, I really, I want, I was totally cool with him only being in the movie for a couple of minutes. I like that they're teasing him. And not, like, we didn't get him, like, walking around, mm. you know, Ronan's mm. ship and being like, well, mm. you know, delegating the plan and stuff. I thought that would have been cheesy. Mm. To keep him in that space and to have him just be this, this he feels like the big bad, mm. like the biggest bad 
that we've gotten. And we've gotten a lot of villains. We've gotten Malekith and Loki mm. and Ronan, but Thanos, they're keeping him at bay for now, I think on purpose, and it's working. Yeah, what I love what they do in this movie is that if you, you just mean the Avengers, you have to explain who he is, right? You have mm-hmm. to explain what he is, you explain what he does, where he comes from, all this stuff. By introducing him in Guardians of the Galaxy the way they did, he's just a thing that exists already in the universe. Everyone knows who he is. Everyone's talking about him. You get, you know, he's the Mad Titan. He's the most powerful being in the universe. You get these little things here and there, and you're able to just kind of understand so that I guarantee you in Guardians 2, he's going to be a much bigger presence. He might be the main villain of that movie, which I think will lead into what happens in Avengers yeah. 3, which he'll be obviously like, mm-hmm. it'll be a whole out, a whole balls out war at that and point. He'll have the, all the gems by then. All the gems yeah. by then. And that's something cool too, right? So we, 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 we start to go through the Infinity Stones here. I think I think four have been accounted for at this point. Yeah, we've got time, mind, we've, and power. Uh, have we gotten all of those already? We've got, we've got the Tesseract. Which, which is, is the mind gem, I'm, which is the I'm mi- guessing, right? No, 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 no. Can... The mind gem is when Loki's staff. Oh, okay. Yeah, the mind right. gem is in Loki's staff. Okay. Um, the Tesseract is the the reality gem because um, it can warp reality. I think okay. that's what it is. Um, we've gotten oh, the... Because the cosmic cube, in essence. Yeah, yeah okay. we've gotten the power gem, which is the one in this. And then I think it's the... No, the reality gem is, is the one from Thor, the Dark World. It's the red gem. It's the one that Malekith uses to the like ether. change the world, the ether oh. thing. Uh, and then the Tesseract, I'm not sure. That might be the time one. I'm not sure what the Tesseract one is. I don't remember what that one is. Um, but we've gotten four of them now accounted for with only a few left to, to, to get. I thought that scene with the Collector was cool where he was like explaining what all of it was. I was like, oh, okay. I get it now. I see where we're going with this. Even though I know what they are, it was cool to get that catch up. With, like, I the love his hand thing. gestures. Yeah. So amazing. <laughs> um yeah, I, I it was so cool to see that stuff kind of come to fruition. That we've been talking about since Avengers, the end of Avengers, when we he popped up um, at, at the end in that post credit sequence. Uh, it was really cool to see that existing, um, just out there in in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so and I mean, he, sorry, go ahead, oh, and his poor daughter who shouldn't be playing, but she's not his daughter in, in the movie, but she is in the books. Uh, who Gamora? Karina. Oh, Karina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You shouldn't mm-hmm. touch. You shouldn't touch the the orb. The orb. No, she uh, <laughs> she had a problem with, yeah. with that. <laughs> She had a problem. She did. She touched you it. You made it sound like she had like alcoholism. Yeah, I know. But like, yeah, she she committed suicide to to get away from the collector. Yeah. Um, the also thing also, I, I want to ask you because you're a hu- obviously Fantastic Four huge fan, and when I, when I think of Fantastic Four, I think of the Cree, and I think of mm-hmm. Ronan the Accuser in a lot of ways. Um, what was it like for you to see Ronan on screen? Oh, it's <laughs> pretty darn amazing. He's He's in the second issue where the Kree are even spoken about. It's FF65. In 64, it was the Sentry who's left behind her at the FF, go on vacation. Mm-hmm. And there's this giant robot waiting there to <laughs> smash them to bits. And he's from the Kree. And it ends in the same way that Terminator 2 does with him sort of sinking into the, <laughs> into the ocean. And then Ronan shows up. To, you destroyed my Sentry. And that's not a good mm. thing you did. And it's who were these people? And it just exploded from there. Seeing the Kree on screen lead, we didn't have the scroll because they don't own them. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know if it's they own them or it's a shared thing. I don't. Know. I think it's a, no, a mess. I think, I think the scrolls belong to Fox. Fox, okay. So that's why the Chitari were in yeah. the Avengers. So yeah. we'll have them. We're now into the cosmic era of mm. Marvel. We're into when you know Stan and Jack were, were every month with some, the issue after this is Adam Warlock is, mm. is him. Month after month, what's going to happen next? Now it's going to be movie to movie. Where do we go from here? What new concepts can we bring into this? 
Yeah, Adam Warlock is coming. Mm-hmm. Doctor Strange Wait, is coming. He was in it, wasn't he? His cocoon. His cocoon is there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So what, what is what is possible? Mm-hmm. Everything. Right. Everything is possible. Everything they can get their hands on, they're going to use more power to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not worrying about how do we explain this? Just go. Yeah. Just go. Yeah. yeah. And seeing Rona was a lot of fun. Yeah. Unless it's a female-led movie, in which case <laughs> we don't have any idea. We can't do that. We don't. We don't know what's going to happen with that. I, I, I hope that happens soon. I, I really want that badly. Kevin Feige? Feige? Anyways, he just released a statement saying that they're not going to do it because they're too into franchises right now. Uh, yeah, I read this interview with him where he's talking about that. He's like, we're not just going to throw it in there. It's got to be something that comes out of the whatever. I mean, I, I still think that you're going <laughs> to... Black Widow. I think you're going to see <clears throat> with one of those... They haven't announced like a whole slate of movies in the next couple yeah. of years. It's good. There's going to be a, a female-led movie in, in one of those. Um, I just don't think... He, that, I think he addressed that too, though. Um, they didn't announce any of those movies. I mean, the thing is, like, I don't think he's going to tell you what's happening. You know, I, that's the thing about it. I want to see when they start announcing those movies. That's when I want to see what's really happening. I feel saying, like why would you start setting up the excuses if you don't need to make excuses? I don't know if they're. Uh, I'm saying there could be excuses. Very well, it could be excuses, but they could also be him just trying to throw up a smoke screen so people aren't like the Katie Sackoff thing. They're not predicting like what's going to happen before it happens. Maybe that's not maybe. I'm just saying. I don't mm-hmm. think. I don't know for sure. No one knows for sure. Um, but uh, discussion about the overall Marvel universe is a, a one for another uh, over their podcast. Um, the uh, what I want to ask about the end too. So the the end of the movie, obviously, we get this um, this showdown between the Guardians and um, and uh, and Ronan. Ronan. <laughs> My mind went dead for a second there. It's okay. Uh, over the Infinity Gem, mm-hmm. um, and we have this scene where basically Peter sacrifices himself. You know, to to first of all, he, he dances and sings. Oh, Ooh Child, which yes, is amazing. Dance which, awesome. which, which there, there's never been a more Joss Whedon scene in, in any movie I've ever seen. Because that is like I could imagine that in any one of anything else Joss Whedon's ever done. Um, <laughs> what the only thing doing? that could throw Ronan for a loop? Yeah. Yes, we could have a dance off. <laughs> um, and then he does, you know, and then Rocket blows up the hammer, and then he, you know, he makes that sacrifice. He grabs the stone, fully expecting to die by grabbing yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have that scene where they all kind of connect. And together, yes. you know, stop the, the destruction of this world. Uh, two questions. I want to know what we thought of that last scene. And obviously, Ronan gets obliterated at the end of that scene. Do we think he's going to be back? Stephanie, you go first. No, I don't think so. Maybe, but I think that they have other characters to work with. And I don't think him coming back is something that is necessary. Okay. And what do you think of the last scene in general? The kind of the, the really kind of the, the moment where they become the team, I guess you'd say. I think that was like the hokiest moment. Like it was a bit like, oh, throwback to that thing where they said a bunch of people were able to harness the power, la la la. Mm-hmm. But like I don't know, it was the hokiest moment for sure. Um, I think it was all right. I think it fit to kind of unite the team post all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think it was they hadn't really said what was going to happen. Cause like, I kind of assumed they were going to already be a team when we went into the movie. Mm-hmm. And obviously that wasn't the case. And this, you know, I thought that them being a team would have been, you know, figured out before we got to the end, but that just worked it out for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what about you? I just love that whole ending sequence from, you know, we are Groot, mm-hmm. which is just oh, incredible. <laughs> you, as Stephanie said, you needed to put the team together, and if it was, 
a little obvious in some ways. It's also necessary to just sort of here's the moment where it's Green Lantern saying his oath, or it's the Fantastic mm. Four putting the four hands together. You want to see it? You wanted? Yes. Yeah, I know. I know it was coming. I saw it coming. Give it to me. Mm-hmm. Just put it out there, and will will our bad guy be back? No, there can. There are other accusers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are lots of other Cree. Yeah. It doesn't have to be him. It could be someone playing that role, right? Without having to be that character. Yeah. If he if he's vaporized for a while, or or he could come back. The supreme intelligence who we haven't seen yet. Mm. Giant floating. I was just thinking about that the other day. (laughs) I want that so bad. Giant floating brain, the the intelligence of an entire universe in one big blob. Are you going to get to voice that? Hmm. Um, Orson Welles is dead, sadly. So maybe you can get some of his old tapes together. um, Steve, what do you think of that last scene? Um, I agree with Stephanie in that it was definitely, it it was hokey, but it kind of reminded, I I liked the hoke of it because it, me focusing so much on Star-Lord or just the 80s themes, 80s itself was kind of hokey Mm -hmm. a lot. And a lot of the movies from that era had that stuff in it. And it was also a you know a defining moment that we needed. We needed to end the movie with them being a solidified group, and I thought that that was a really great way to do it. Um, when they were first holding on to one another, and the skin's crackling, and the the stone is working its thing, I was kind of like, oh, the power of friendship, Care Bear stare, like this is gonna mm-hmm. be kind of yeah. But the moment that they're all together and the stone kind of realizes that it has like a new parliament or a new, they are the guardians of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. They talked earlier in the film about how there was a group of people that had it under control, but didn't have the resolve to kind of wield the stone Mm -hmm. with any, you know, so for them to be, for the movie to be like, guess what? These are the people that are, are capable. This band of losers, this band of misfits and outlaws, these are, the people that are able to handle these stones and the moment where like the serious faces from the anguish of like my head's about to explode Mm -hmm. to my eyes are glowing with the power (laughs) of the stone. And he like Peter Quill's face is all like chiseled up and his hair standing on end. And it's just like, bitch, we're the guardians of the galaxy. I was like, yeah, motherfucker, like give it to him. Um, So in the end, I really did like that scene. I thought it was necessary. I thought it was fun. And I liked the hokiness of it. I thought it, I th- it was endearing and cool. Yeah, I like the hokiness of it too. I I, I, I love that last scene. The only reason I, uh, I wonder about uh, Ronan coming back is because he's destroyed by the Infinity Gem. So I feel like there's a chance mm-hmm. when, when Thanos comes back. Um, yeah, I love the last scene. I, I, I love them coming together as a team. And uh, it was one of it wasn't one of my favorite moments, but I thought it was a great. It, you know, it was it, listen. It wasn't as good as like the Avengers like tooling up. You know, yeah. Cap directing everybody oh, the sequence spinning around yeah. with the camera. Yeah, and then yeah. Cap, you know, giving the orders to everybody. Hulk, yeah, smash. smash. Yeah, and all that <laughs> stuff was amazing. You know, so it wasn't as good as that, but I felt like it was. It was a great way to bring it together. Um, you know, I, I, I think that the scene earlier, right, the scene where they're in the, they're kind of coming up with the plan when they're trying to oh, like yeah. fool Yondu and I think they yeah. have a plan. Like uh, that was one of my probably the moment that I, I felt them can their team. My favorite, my favorite line of the entire movie is Rocket when he's like, "All right, I'm standing up now. You happy? We're all standing. We're all up. standing up. A bunch of idiots standing in a circle. Yeah. 
One of my favorite moments. Because you've movie. seen that. Yeah. You've seen yeah. that in a hundred thousand movies where yeah. everybody, I'll stand with you. Yeah. I'll do it too. And it it's such a cheesy thing that yeah. we've seen a thousand times. And he calls it out. Yeah. Now my favorite planning scene is the prison break. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Oh, I, I need that leg. Yeah. Oh, that oh, that's the great that joke is great when it comes back. <laughs> I just thought it was, I just thought it was funny, you know. Look at the guy hopping around. <laughs> what do you look like? Tell me what he looks like. Yeah, I just really need your eye. I need that guy's, guy's eye. eye. <laughs> he doesn't need your eye. No, I really need it, and he can't hold it together at that point. Great, great stuff. There's so many funny lines you can quote it for. I can well, you can quote for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just a fantastic ride. I, I think that. Um, it was cool. You seen the Celestials and them talking yeah. about Celestials. It's so cool. Like, it, you it got just, to see them. Got to see like, them. Did you see the size of that head? Yeah. That the yeah. severed head of, of the Celestial that yeah. nowhere was was encased in. Yeah. Holy They're crap! The size of skyscrapers. Yeah. It's Kirby. Of yeah. course. Oh it's my god. Monstrous. No. So cool. You get to see that stuff. You know, it's a shame. Obviously, they can't do Galactus, but th- they can do all the others. So that that yeah. would be cool to see all that stuff. Um, <laughs> and that's even Michael Rooker. Where he, kills all the guys with the arrow that was cool. amazing uh, i love really cool. i love the part where they're driving the thing from the prison yeah or, no no no. maybe it was it was star lord and gamora for sure and drax in the back seat and they were just careening down like one of those corridors smashing mm-hmm. into everything and he's cracking he's laughing, up yeah. and like star lord and gamora are like what is up with this guy <laughs> yeah he's like got his hands up Woo-hoo. yeah yeah seven you enjoyed that uh that yondu scene mm-hmm. it was really cool because like it just been a tease up until then. Yeah, yeah, the, the whistling on the the arrow. Yeah, Michael so. Rooker's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, he's so great. And then <laughs> that's the only original Guardian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is this where is it the same character? He got older, or this is before <laughs> he became a hero, or whatever. But it's just done so well. And who knew there were you know rednecks in space? <laughs> but it just really worked. He's a Bad guy, good guy, bad guy, good guy. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as it plays itself out. And when he, you know, don't open that orb. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to open that. Yeah. And it's the troll inside. Yeah. He, just what a what a great scene. He laughs. He really, oh, I've been taken. I taught him well. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. I hope we'll see more of him, too. Yeah. I hope we see, you know, I, I think it's, they set up the Nova Corps very well. I think that the destruction of basically the entire fleet at the end of yeah. that movie mm-hmm. is the setup for them becoming, you know, like the crazy, like human rocket Novas with the helmets yeah. and everything like that. I think that's what you're leading into there. Yeah. John C. Riley was great. You yeah. know, we did a small part, but a, a yeah. good one. Mm-hmm. Glenn Close was interesting. Yeah. Glenn Close, which goes prick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Seventy, go ahead. Yeah, no, Glenn Close was really cool in it too. Just like short kind of appearance and what's the guy who is like john c Riley's like second in command uh peter serafinowitz yeah his he real was name. great too yeah he's awesome i love that guy <laughs> what a bunch of a-holes <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm an a i might be an a-hole but i'm not a total dick is that what he's yeah, yeah, yeah. he got my dick message <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's one thing that's why chris Pratt is so great because he can say things like that and it's like incredibly endearing that he's saying it you know and hilarious at the same time mm-hmm. Uh, so all that stuff was great. You know, the, the, the interactions are great. All these little characters, they do a good job with them as well. Um, the effects are wonderful. It's just, it, it's it's so great. Bob, you, you have a Guardians of the Galaxy comic in front of you. That's their first appearance. Their first appearance. That's probably worth a lot of money right now. It's <laughs> worth more this week than it was last week. Yeah. It's, it's still not <laughs> tremendously, this is not in very good shape. Mm. This is my copy from 1969. Right. But I just felt I should have it here. <laughs> and there's Yondu right at, right at the end mm-hmm. with... I have a question. Bow and arrow. Yeah. Sure. 
Were there any parts that, because I know there were for me, did any parts like tug on your heartstrings? Did you almost break down? Oh, yeah. The, the, well, I said the Rocket Raccoon stuff where he's talking about being made and he didn't want to be a monster, all that stuff. That yeah. scene, I couldn't believe how much, like, it just stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. That scene, that, that's the scene I, I walked away from the movie thinking about the most, actually, above all the humor and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what, were the, what was the scene for you? The when Star Lord gets the second tape, mm. the second awesome mix, mm. and he reads the letter from his mom. And I didn't catch it the first time, but the second time, um, when she's just about to pass away, she's talking about the father, and she says, right before she passes away, he came to us in a beam of light yeah. or something. He's to a that being of pure light. Yeah, he's a being of pure light. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't catch that the first time. Mm. Like she, you know, she knows obviously yeah. the whole time and doesn't, you know, doesn't uh, bestow that knowledge onto uh, Peter, but. When she when he opens that up and she goes, you know, my little Star Lord, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. did he like? Did he know? Is that something that she called him? Mm-hmm. And just that that knowledge, that that little thing that she decided to call him, probably as you know, when she was alive and they mm-hmm. were together, that it it tied into so much of what would become his future. Mm-hmm. You know, after Yondu picks him up and stuff like that. But I just. When I was reading that letter and I saw that it was more music, like another, you've gone 26 years mm-hmm. with listening to this one tape. The whole time you had this other mix, this other part of your mom with you the whole time that you're finally, you know, willing and comfortable enough to open up that gift and you found the gift of, of music. Yeah. And he puts it in and Gamora just starts swaying from side mm-hmm. to side ever so slightly because she's still a little uncomfortable yeah. with it, but she's warming up to it. And I just was like, I had to like stop myself, mm. like because I, I knew it was coming up the second time. I'm like, I'm not gonna cry, not gonna <laughs> cry, not gonna cry. And his face when the music starts, that's that last time, like yeah. that look on his yeah. face, like oh my god, like I haven't. It's like this, this just amazing look on his face where it's like he's gotten like the best gifts in the world. Well, it's either it's either completely new to him because he hasn't heard it in forever, yeah. or it's just like memories flooding yeah. in. Yeah, absolutely. Stephanie, what what, what was a, a feel part for you? I think the stuff with Peter and his mom, like, you know, the initial scene mm-hmm. when, you know, he's she's reaching out and saying, like, take my hand. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the consequential flashbacks later on, you know, and he's, like, holding the Infinity Stone and he's flashing back and being, Gamora is saying, like, take my hand. He's like, mom. <laughs> and I don't know. There was just a bunch of really heartfelt moments. The, ra- the Rocket Raccoon stuff, too, was, like, no feels. Yeah, it was. Why? I didn't want this. <laughs> uh, um, well, but what all, about for you? All, all the ones you guys cited. Mm. Small one, Drax petting. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. After, after Groot's been blown to smithereens, yeah. saving everyone. You know, we are Groot, yeah. and it's just little offhanded moment. Who knows? Even ad libbed or yeah. this, they came up with, but it just who would ever dare mm. to pet Rocket Raccoon? <laughs> yeah. Tracks in just that moment, and then in in the very end of the movie, as we drift into the second tape, you go into Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell ain't no mountain high mm. enough. Yeah, yep. As oh, as a way yeah. to just mm. pull into it's just such a beautifully emotional song, just as as what it was. Mm. But then in that context, yeah, wow, yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> that ending with the Groot in the little yeah. Groot in the pot <laughs> yeah. dancing is just it's just pure. It's like pure joy. It's a moment of pure joy for me. And actually, it's James Gunn like doing the it's oh, his really? moves. Yeah, he's doing the he get the motion capture for the dancing, um, which I, I think is that. That's funny. which is great. Uh, but yeah, and Groot was great. That scene, I 
they, when they're in the spaceship, yeah, and they're and he does the thing where he like reaches out his arms, and he like so he's like it's like twenty guys he's got, and he's like flashing him, and then he, and he turns and has that giant smile on yeah. his face. It, it's just it's just it's such a great moment. Reminded me of uh, Hulk's moment with Loki from Avengers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, just full of great moments, full full of great moments. Um, about what did you? Th- I mean. Obviously, the the after credit scene. It's a quick, very little thing. It's much more of a joke than the Marvel ones have been in, uh, probably ever in, yeah. for their main, you know, teaser. Uh, it's uh, Howard the Duck. What, what did you think about that, Bob? I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm. T- I like that other movie. <laughs> I I have to tell you, I it was, it was a bold attempt in 1987 to mm-hmm. to do that. I've got some Howard the Duck sitting over there that <laughs> Steve's looking at, and that. They would dare to to bring the specter of this back up again, considering what it's now become. It's mm. the biggest joke in Hollywood, Howard right. the Duck. The time might be right to revisit this again. If you could do Rocket, I hate to tell you, for those who've never read Howard the Duck, the book, as opposed to seeing that movie, that's who Howard was. Mm-hmm. Raucous, kind of vile, you know, said what he wanted, did what he wanted. I... Didn't know that was coming, I mm-hmm. have to tell you. And as Steve said, it's actually in the collector's boxes, yeah. right? Early yeah. on, you can actually see him now, so I have to go back and, and look for that. He's in there. Yeah, I love the bravery of that. And mm-hmm. you're saying it's just sort of come up with it the last well, minute? Well, he was, like, he was oh, saying that. Yeah, 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 it was. They, they filmed the scene with that cube being empty. Benicio Del Toro didn't know what was going to be in the cube. And they got Seth Green to come in and do the voice of Howard the Duck. And they threw it in post-production yeah. at like the last minute. So people that went to the premiere didn't even get to, oh, to really? see it and stuff like that. Yeah. So the whole article was like, does Benicio even know that he shared a scene with a CGI space duck? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I grew. I, I wouldn't say I grew up on the movie, but I definitely saw the movie mm. a number of times. It was the first time I got to see duck boobs <laughs> yeah. uh, in my adolescence, so that was a thing, <laughs> and so that kind of stuck out. And I never really forgot. And then the Jeffrey something or other. He's been in a hundred movies before. The the villain the, uh, of Jeffrey Howard, Jones. Jeffrey Jones. Oh, Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Dark Overlord. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I remember. You know, he was in Stay Tuned and yeah, all oh, these yeah. other movies, yeah. and. Um, I, I, he's got a shady career and, and way about him, but I've always kind of enjoyed him in movies. Uh, Howard the Duck to me was fun, and like we got a tweet, and somebody tweeted us, and they they tagged Bobby and I, and they said, "Oh my god, you know, you guys are gonna freak out at the after credit sequence." So I, I avoided everything. I had yeah. only seen one trailer for mm-hmm. Guardians. I didn't see anything else, so I went in this movie very cold. And the only thing that I could imagine, I was like, it's going to be Captain Marvel. I'm mm-hmm. like, they've kept it under wraps this whole time. Katie Sackhoff is going to come out. <laughs> She's going to you know, knock on the bay door. They're going to open it up. And Carol's going to be like, yo, you know, <laughs> we got stuff to deal with over and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. When it turned out to be Howard the Duck, I went, yup. <laughs> total surprise. There it is. There yeah. it goes. And it was yet another reference to my childhood and my growing up that just connected me with the movie even more. Yeah, it was close. I, Sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, when you were... I thought the, for sure it was going to be a Nova thing, like, because they had mm-hmm. been oh, rumors yeah. that Nathan Fillion was going to have uh, a different role in the movie. He does mm-hmm. actually appear in the movie. He's the guy in the prison that Groot sticks the... Groot's Stuff up the guy's nose. nose yeah. Yep. Guy. Um, for anyone who didn't know that. But I thought for sure he was going to be... Um, uh, 
Nova mm-hmm. at the end of it. I thought that was going to be the big reveal. Yeah. There's also a lot of rumors that he, they, they wanted him to play um, Chris Pratt's father, like in the movie. Like oh, Jason. Jason of Spartax. Hmm. Um, so we'll have to see what happens with that. They're very similar people in a lot of ways, yeah. which is funny. They, did they uh, announce that they were... I remember them announcing that they were doing something with Howard the Duck, but I don't remember what. Well, they 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 just re- they just started reprinting. Yeah, there's all an omnibus. Of, okay. uh, omnibus is coming out. Yeah, I think they're tooling it back up to do something with it. I think in this Guardians movie, obviously, opens it up to if you can because do the, the talking raccoon, you can do the talking duck. Sorry, Stephanie. Because Gardner. so fucking help me if they do a Howard the Duck movie before a Black Widow movie. <laughs> I don't I think I don't think like, you'll see that. No, absolutely no. not. <laughs> we'll go to Marvel, and I will like. Flip every table there. <laughs> Just, um, I don't think you'll see that. <laughs> uh, so let me read some listener reactions to oh, the movie. Um, let's go here. What do we got? So Daya Harris says, I liked it, but not as much as uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. It reminds me a bit of the Avengers and that while the story and villain and some of the side characters aren't that strong, the character interaction and the writing of the Guardians was very good. Um, Richard Bullock says, I have been reading Guardians of the Galaxy since it's, since its relaunch, so I was pumped and it did not disappoint. I love the characters. Could could even see Starler turning into a Tony Stark type character. Loved it. Seen it twice already and recommending it to everyone. Scott Ellerk says, amazing balls to the walls fun. This is now my favorite comic book related movie. And although I have so much love for the guardians themselves, seeing Thanos was bone chilling. And I think I'm in love with Nebula and probably Gamora as well. My only complaint is that I wish Michael Rooker didn't play typical Rooker. Seemed like Merle in space. Um, <laughs> David Riceweed says, I've seen it twice and it was great. I had a pet raccoon back around 86, 87 when the Rocket Raccoon Limited series came out. I never in a million years imagined that Rocket would one day be featured in a major motion picture. And like his namesake, he stole it. Um, from Travis Fleischman, he says, loved it. Great humor and action. Rocket and Groot stole the show and Chris Pratt made a great Star-Lord. I love the mix of sci-fi action in the 70s soundtrack. It's nice to see Marvel take a chance on a lesser-known property and have it be such a huge success. Kenyatta A. Poe says, this was a great movie. I love the awesome mixtape incorporation in the movie. By far the funniest Marvel movie to date. I rank it number two out of the Marvel movies to come out this year behind Captain America. <laughs> Rocket and Groot stole the show. Um, Robin Hitchie says, first off, I love the movie. I felt the juxtaposition of wisecracking Star-Lord and Rocket meshed so well and contrasted with Drax and Gamora in a way that was comedy gold. Once again, Marvel nailed it. I jumped on the Guardians when Marvel relaunched it recently. I know there are quite a few original members that are not in the movie or current comics. Could any of you, probably Bob, give a short history of the franchise? Um, well, he did a little bit, but maybe we'll do that another day. We'll, we'll okay. save that. We'll do a little research and we'll talk about the Guardians in more depth for people who are interested in it. To be fair, I knew nothing of the series, but this is for Jonathan. He says, to be fair, I knew nothing of the series but i absolutely loved it it was just a mix of all my favorite sci-fi movies i really thought it was pretty epic we are family uh we are a family of five each one had a different favorite character um mike hokey says i am groot um Um, and we have the questions about what we think is the next logical step for Guardians, but let's rope that from Jonathan, but let's rope that into when we do a, a more discussion about the comic books themselves. Um, we had a couple emails as well that I want to I get to. Um, let me get these up right now. Uh, here we go. Uh, from Kyle Garrett, he says, uh, who's at Superbad Larry on Twitter, of course, he said, the movie was entertaining, although a bit underwhelming for me. Prose, it was very funny. It looked fantastic. Very actualized. Rocket, Groot, and Drax steal the show. Thanos looked awesome, although he looked like a video game character instead of in the flesh like everyone else. So he agrees with you, Steve. Um, he says cons, and this is spoiler stuff, but we're in spoilers. Uh, uh, both Gamora and her sister had the same motivation to turn on Thanos. It seemed too easy. Why did the Nova Corps, who are a galactic police force, allow Ronan's ship to get that close to them before trying to stop him? That fight should have been over, over in space. 
that took me out of the story a bit. Although, the, although they tried to to and eventually stop the ship was how they how they tried to eventually stop the ship was very cool. Yeah. It could have been cool for Ronan to survive at least one more film. I feel like we didn't get enough character out of him. The overall pace of the film was a bit too fast for me. As good as the opening scene was, I think they could have cut it. Um, since they explained Quill's tie to the Walkman later and used that time to flesh out the rest of the narrative a bit. I do see why they did it, though, as an anchor to Earth is good. I had to look up Quill and Wikipedia since I had no experience with the series. I'm interested in finding out more about who his dad is. All in all, great ride, and I took I look forward to more. Aside from my observations, I still recommend seeing this movie, although my top two Marvel films are still The Avengers and The Winter Soldier. Cheers, Kyle. Uh, I think that's good because there's a little bit negative in there, and then we, you know, it's like the opposite of the Man of Steel review. We yes. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, this is from Courtney Key, who is actually uh, uh, one of our new writers, um, which we'll be talking about Courtney. Uh, in more detail in the coming weeks. Uh, she said, I love this movie. I saw it in 2D because my friend couldn't do the later 3D show, but I'm planning on going to see it in 3D as well. Also, I need to see it again because I know there are lines I missed because I was laughing too hard from the previous line. That happened to me with uh, the Jackson Pollock line with Chris oh, Pratt. Yeah. I couldn't hear what Rocket said back to him because I was laughing too oh, yeah, hard. Yeah. Um, she says, Marvel continues its tradition of casting their leading characters perfectly. I'm a longtime fan of Parks and Recreation, and I've loved Chris Pratt as Andy Dwyer. I have to say, I wouldn't have immediately have thought of him for Peter Quill, but he has an innate charm, likability, and comedic timing that works so well in the role. I can't imagine any, anyone else, she says. Dave Bahista as Drax was the surprise star for me. He was the character I was expecting to, well, I wasn't expecting to love, but his line stole the show, and Bahista's delivery was perfect. Um, Zoe Saldana, I expected to be an appropriate badass, Gamora, and she was. I do wish the relationship between her and Nebula had been explored a little more. Sequel, anyone. But I will get more into the villains and my nitpicks with the movie. Of course, the stars of the show were Rocket and Groot. Both Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel were excellent choices for the characters. And I say, and I say that as someone who doesn't like Bradley Cooper generally all that much. Um, she said, I've seen a lot of comparisons of the movie's tone to Indiana Jones. And I agree, it's probably why I like it so much. Because I grew up on that swashbuckling adventure stuff. Um, if I had one complaint with the movie, it's that I don't think the villains were used enough. I don't think they failed to the extent that they did with poor Christopher Eccleston in Thor 2, a movie I love in spite of Malekith stuff, um, but I wish Lee Pace, who was awesome and looked awesome, had a little more to do, and that we had maybe spent a bit more time learning about Ronan and his mission. Same with Karen Gillan as Nebula. She's an actress I love, and while I thought she looked great, I could not, I, I could see more of her. Um, same thing with Jaimin Hunsu. Uh and this is one thing that Colville brought up that I think we, we need to bring up because it's been on the internet a bunch right now. And she wrote this in an email. I also thought Drax calling Gamora a whore near the end of the movie was jarring. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I know it was done for a joke, but it kind of threw me out of the movie for a minute. I thought the movie had done a good job uh, to that point of not over-sexualizing Gamora. Um, so that line came out of left field for me, and I wish they had left it or gone somewhere else for an insult. Overall, though, I thought it was a great and did its job introducing these characters and getting us to buy them as a team within the Marvel Universe all, with all, while also de- being a fun action movie on its own. Definitely a top three Marvel movie for me. Um, she said, P.S. Was anyone else not a, disappointed that they didn't get a Kevin Bacon cameo? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the next It's the legend from Earth of, of Footloose. Um, if I could just say something about the, the horror uh, yeah, remark. Yeah, of course. I also was kind of thrown a little bit by that both times. I kind of braced myself for it the second watch and it still irked me and... It irked me for, I mean, I'll try to explain this the best that I can. The Drax character, first of all, Gamora in the comics, at least in Brian, Brian Michael Bennis's run now, it, Gamora is she's a very, very powerful character. If she sleeps with somebody, it's because she wants to. Drax is a very literal, literal character who doesn't quite understand metaphor. Maybe by the end of the movie, he does. But to him, when he calls her a whore, he flat out means 
whore. I think you're wrong about that because that scene, he's all in the whole scene. He's trying to not be literal. Is that what's going on? That's what yeah. I that, you think. That, so yeah. I look, it, look. Yeah. I think that joke is bad. I think. Okay. It, I think. It, I think it's not really funny. But I think that what he's trying to do in that scene is he's trying to be metaphorical uh, in the scene. Okay. Um, I still think it's a weird joke. I, I don't think it works. I mean, uh, it, it's, it felt like a record scratch. Yeah, I think it's me. a bad joke. Yeah. Um, Stephanie, what did you think of that part? I thought it was a bit. I, I now that you kind of mention it, it bothers me a little bit, but not. It didn't really bother me in the moment because mm-hmm. I mean. It seemed a little bit like, whoa, but at the same time, I kind of just went along with it because it was part of, like, you know, the it was just in the moment. I don't yeah. know. And also, like, it's, she's, like I think it also, it, it also they say Drax is insane, like, several times. Mm-hmm. And, and Gomorrah is obviously not a whore, <laughs> you know, in, in no. the movie. Um, she is very strong and very powerful. Uh, I think it's a bad joke, but I think taking it farther than it just being a bad joke, I think, is is reading a little bit too far into, like, the... The, the, I don't think it's sexualizing Gamora at yeah, all. Yeah, no, you I'm know? not gonna like. I'm not gonna. That's what I feel about it anyway. And put it up on you know on a podium for everybody right. to throw <laughs> you know rotten fruit at or anything. Yeah, I just thought it was like both times that I watched the movie, it was one line that I, I just kind of went like, oh, mm-hmm. you know? no, it's a bad line. It's yeah. it's one of the yeah. only bad lines in the movie, I think. Um, but it didn't like it didn't bother me any more than that. Like I just felt like this yeah. is weird. It just feels out of place to me. Uh, for me. Uh, it's like if somebody, you know, like the the track starts skipping uh, at the party, and then somebody just knocks it really quick, and it's fine. Yeah, you know, like dude, fix it. Yeah, fine. I mean, you know, it's, it's like you know, uh, what's his name? Rocket is making fun of handicapped people two, two times in the movie. So there's like, it's not, it's it's not short on offensive jokes. Did he? Well, the guy with the one leg. He's still oh the leg. yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a bad joke, but I, I but again, again, I'm not. Uh, a female, so I, I don't know how I perceive that. That word Absolutely. doesn't mean the same things to me as yeah, it means to, to some. Loaded, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so that that's that, that's my opinion. I guess I just didn't catch the rhythm of because I mean he was systematically going through each one of them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I guess maybe because the other one seemed harmless, then that one seemed rather crass. Right, and, but him, her, I feel like her and her and Drax had like a very combative. Oh yeah, relationship that whole movie. Um, and he has a kind of like a smile on his face, like when he says it. So I feel like that, that's his like, well, he does something super cool, like shortly thereafter. Yeah. And she shoots him down right away. Yeah, she does. And no. Like, and that, that is, up, you know? that is the other thing is she turns around immediately and she's like, whoa, yeah, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. all right, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny because uh, uh, John D asked, asked a question about the language in the movie, which you already kind of went up because oh, okay. we, we already talked about it, uh, about the whore line and also about the cursing and what you yeah. thought about it. Because we talked, we talked about Justice League War a couple like months ago, that was one of the issues we had with it was, yeah. was the language in it. But we kind of addressed that already. Let me just say one thing. The, the movies like way back, like early 90s, mid 80s, stuff like that, kids movies that were rated PG had oh, yeah. language that was far worse yeah. than anything in Guardians of the Galaxy. You watch Monster Squad again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there's some flat out these are kids. Yeah. They're like 11 years old. Yeah. And you know, like Dick and I'm not even going to say some of the other words yeah. cause I just, I don't approve of them, but, yeah. um, you know, I don't approve of them. I don't know. I have, I have friends that are, you know, of a homosexual, uh, right. background right. Yeah. and there, there was, it was fine to 
call people, you know, queers mm. or faggots or whatever. And I've just I wasn't I'm, saying you had to go into it. I just thought it was <laughs> No, no, no. I just I might as well explain it. I just I'm not down with that. Yeah. And that was a that was a thing that was done normally it happens in like the karate kid yeah it does absolutely and i think in general this is like a whole, di- whole different show we can go into I yeah i'll shut up now i know but i think that nowadays i think that filmmaking is often too gentle in these t- these types of movies. live action movies like this are often too gentle and too kind of you know homogenizing of the way people act yeah you know k- kids can be freaking horrible to each other they and they horrible. say horrible things you know, and I think always horrible. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with stuff. And I think that addressing that is a good in the movies. And I think this movie is that kind of movie. If I watch this as a kid, yeah, my, my parents were like, "Oh god, there's a little bit of language in it." But I, I think that I, I don't think it's something that affects a kid's development. You know, I think that's what happens a lot when people think about stuff like okay, this. But it might limit, and not that this is limited the mm. audience. As a parent, you might want to. Right. No, you have to think about it. You have to make the decision decision as a parent, what you want to do. But if you think your kid can handle it, I I think that sometimes that age thing is a little bit, people put an age marker on when people can see movies, and I think it has a lot more to do with maturity than than the the number. With the whole idea of PG, it is guidance. And we we should take it for that as you shouldn't necessarily say that all PG-13 movies are the same. Right, exactly. I think a lot of kids in junior high are already calling each other pricks and dicks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, They're calling so much worse than that. Yeah. The things I yeah. was saying when I was in junior high, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, yeah. So that's those are our thoughts on, on Guardians of the Galaxy. Thank well, you. I have one other oh, sorry, note. go ahead. One other note, because we talked about mm-hmm. Warfare, but Marvel, uh, they released some tracking numbers. The audience for this over the, oh, the right. opening weekend was 44% female. Nice. Which is the highest number any of their movies is, yeah, has attained. Even higher than The Avengers. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. It's great. So they, if they listen to those numbers, Stephanie, then they'll do exactly what you were talking exactly. about. It didn't make like 165 yeah. okay. million worldwide. Yeah, it did. Wow. Um, all right. So, books, books of the week. Books, not books of the week. Books that are coming out this week. We're, we're, we're rewinding. The show never ends. Books of the week. Yeah. Uh, Time gem. Yeah, these are the books that are coming out this week from Abstract Studios. We have Rachel Rising number 27. Um, and Sip Kids, number one, another book from Abstract, which is just, that's his, more his print, right, Stephanie? He self-publishes, right? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah, so I don't Actually, know. maybe I do know what that is. But <laughs> um, I think some, I saw some fan art of it, but I don't know enough to go into it, but. Yeah, it's Terry Moore. Um, oh, it's it's like a children's, it's, I guess it says they're back. The Strangers of Paradise gang returns in their first all-new full-color co- stories in 2007 as six-year-olds. So it's strangers in paradise, strangers of paradise, but as kids. Really? Okay. Yes. Ooh, I might have to check that out. Um, so I guess I guess strangers in paradise. That's what Sip is. I'm guessing. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. Cool. Um, let's see what else we got here from Archie Comics. We have Archie number six fifty eight, um, and Sonic Universe number sixty six from Avatar Press. We've got Caliban number five, Dick's End of Time, Extinction Parade, uh, War number two. Um, sorry. That's not one title. It's it's Dick's End of Time <laughs> number three, and then Extinction Parade War number two. Oh, that's too bad. I yeah, like it it's not way. Dick's End of Time colon Extinction Parade War. <laughs> um, God is Dead, the Book of Acts Alpha. Um, Uber number 16 is also out. From Boom Studios, we have Big Trouble in Little China number three. We've got Clockwork Angels number four. Garfield number 28. Um, we've got Robocop number two. Steven Universe number one. Suicide Risk, number 16, and The Woods, number 4. Um, from Dark Horse, we've got Angel and Faith, season 10, number 5. 
we've got uh, let's see here. There's not a lot out from Dark Horse. There's a lot of trades out from Dark Horse. Uh, Yus- Yusaji Yim- Yimbo Senso number one. Um, Michael Ovan Omings The Victories number fourteen. Um, and that seems like all for the single issues from Dark Horse. From DC Comics, we've got Action Comics, number 34. Aquaman, the others, number 5. Batman 66 meets the Green Hornet, number 3. Um, we've got Batman Eternal, number 18. Batwing, number 34, which is the final issue. De- Detective Comics, number 34. Earth 2, number 26. Grayson, number 2. Green Arrow, number 34. Green Lantern, number 34. Hinterkind, number 10. Uh, Justice League 3000, number 9. Looney Tunes, number 220. Future's End, number 14. Um, we've got Superman, Wonder Woman, Annual, number one, Swamp Thing, number 34, Tiny Titans, Return to the Treehouse, number three, uh, The Trade Payback of Trillium, Trinity of Sin, The Phantom Stranger, number 22, which is the final issue. Um, from Dynamite Entertainment. Oh, if you're collecting the Doomed storyline, it's a tough week for you. Yeah, I'm not collecting it. Well, so. it's 14 bucks. Oh, it's wow. It's two annuals, and, regu- and two actions, one of an annual, and the Superman, Wonder Woman, all part of the same storyline. Wow. Oof, that's why I dropped action. Um, from Dima Entertainment, we've got Blood Queen number three. Uh, we've got Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers number one. Uh, Chaos number four. Chastity number two. Um, we've got Flash Gordon number four. Uh, George R. R. Martin's The Game of Thrones number 21. Jennifer Blood, Born Again number one. Uh, Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files, War Cry number three. New Vampirella number three. Um, we've got Shadow, Midnight in Moscow number three. Terminal Hero, number one, and Tom Clancy Splinter Cell Echoes, number two. Let's see. From IDW, we've got Angry Birds Comics, number three. We've got G.I. Joe Real American Hero, number 25. Haunted Horror, number 12. Mars Attacks Firstborn, number three. Popeye Classics, number 25. Uh, Rogue Trooper Classics, number four. Squitter, number two. Star Mage, number five. Um, We've got... Ooh, that's it <laughs> uh, from image comics we've got alex and ada number eight we've got aphrodite nine number seven clone number 19 cyber force number 10 genius number one of five uh hack slash son of sam hain and number two um how tunes reignition number one imperial number one invincible number 113 lazarus number 10 madame frankenstein number four nailbiter number four night world number one uh the spread number two tales of honor number four tech jacket number two um, and that's it for Image. For Marvel Comics, we've got Black Widow number nine. Um, we've got Daredevil. Nope, that's a reprint. Sorry. Uh, Deadpool Dracula's Gauntlet number five. Um, we've got Figment number three of five. Iron Fist the Living Weapon number five. Uh, we've got Kickass three number eight. Legendary Star Lord number two. Uh, we've got Miracle Man number nine. Moon Knight number six. New Avengers number 22. Wasn't that last week too? Speaking of overdoing things, they're back to back. What what is New, new Avengers? Avengers? Oh yeah, wow, one last week because yeah. it was in my lightning round. Yeah, New Warriors number eight, Original Sin number three point four, and Original Sin number five point three. <laughs> yeah, well, one's the Hulk Iron oh. Man story, the other one's the Thor Loki. Thor Loki Angel. one, right? Uh, Painkiller Jane, the twenty two brides number two, Punisher number nine, Rocket Raccoon number two. It's a good week for Star Lord and Rocket Raccoon yep. to be coming out. Uh, she Hulk number seven. Superior Foes of Spider-Man number 14. Superior Spider-Man number 32, which is part of the Spider-Verse. Um, mm-hmm. So the return of, of Superior Spidey. Uh, we also... Oh, that's it. Okay. Uh, now that Punisher and Blackwood are the ones that are tied together. Oh, they are. Okay. Yeah. The one that Nathan Edmondson was... Oh, gotcha. Okay. Only Press, we got the Bunker number five. Um, and Six-Gun Days of the Dead number one. 
from Valiant Entertainment, we've got Harbinger Omegas number one. Uh, let's see here. From Zenoscope, we've got uh, Goddess Inc. number one and Masumi number one. And those are the books that are on the shelves right now. If you guys want to get in touch with us and be a part of the show, at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, and podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. And make sure you guys visit TalkingComicBooks.com uh, for all the reviews and re- articles and news. And we just brought on six new writers, and we'll be um, announcing that kind of officially and giving them a little coming out party um, in, in the mm. next week. Uh, but we're super excited to have them on, and we got a lot of cool stuff coming from the site, uh, including we're going to be working on a site-wide uh, ranking of the Marvel movies, 1 through 10. So Ooh. we'll see how all of that goes. Um, make sure to check out our family of talking podcasts. We've got Talking Games, hosted by our own very own Steve Say. Yep, yep. Uh, every Thursday at noon. Um, we've got The Misfits, hosted by Stephanie Cook. Uh, yeah. What's your next episode, Stephanie? Uh, our next episode is on Guillermo del Toro, and that goes up uh, on the 11th. Cool. Awesome. Um, we also have Talking Movies um, with Brian Verderosa and Chris Oliphant and Talking Valiant with Adam Shaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got a whole family of stuff there. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve? I am at dead underscore anchorus on Twitter. Uh, Stephanie? I'm at Hello Cookie. And Bob, email address. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Bob, do you have any closing words before I take us out here? No. Nothing to interrupt. When, interrupt. When, when you ask, I don't have any. See, <laughs> that's how that works. <laughs> that's, how it, that's how it always always seems to work. Um, and it's Stephanie said this on Twitter a few times as well, but if you guys didn't hear back from us yet, that does not mean you're not going to be brought on to Talking Comics. It just means that um, we're hiring in waves because we want to be able to be able to handle and give the attention to people we're hiring in each wave. Um, so we're doing this first six, and then very soon we'll be doing another six uh, people again, mm-hmm. or maybe you know, not necessarily six, but another grouping of people. Uh, and just don't email me back and say, you know, did you get my application and all that stuff? I I appreciate that you guys are all super excited and I love it, but you're just clogging up my inbox and I guarantee <laughs> I got it. I'm just super, super like slammed with all my other stuff that I, you know, this is our passion project and I'm slammed with all the stuff that I get paid for right now. So just yeah. bear with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. But um, thank you guys so much. we got so many amazing uh, responses and so many amazing applications. You guys are amazing. Um, thank you to all our fans who came out and really turned around those iTunes review for us. Um, if you haven't reviewed it yet, please go and review it. Uh, it really, really helps. You know, that gives us more um, attention on the iTunes store, which means more downloads, which means when we go to guests and be like, hey, you want to be on our show? Look how many people listen to the show. Get bigger and better guests. Um, opposed to the already amazing people who have already given their time mm-hmm. to be on here. Um, so that w- that would be awesome. We want to bring you guys a better show and that's a definite way you and guys can we do might it. Ha- Sorry. We might have a big guest soon, too. We, d- we might, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. want to announce it until, it's yeah. a, until we know what it's going to be, but a, a, very big, it, yeah, but a very big guest who... The next couple of weeks, perhaps. Who may or may or may not be very uh, prescient to the movie we just talked about. <laughs> Ooh, um, who could it be? Uh, I know who it is. Yeah, I know you know who it is. <laughs> uh, but that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Steve... Pelvic Sorcery. Bob. What? And Stephanie... <laughs> I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. Continued.